Hey guys, welcome to Seeking What They Sought. My name is Jesse. I'm here with Anthony and Sean. Eric's not here with us today. His name is here with us, but that's because Sean's a boomer and doesn't know how to work with technology. So, um, but yeah, uh, we're here with Miles, uh, and Miles is a uh, is a um, someone with a YouTube channel called Answering Adventism. And Those are called YouTubers, Jesse. Uh, someone with Sean, a YouTube channel. There's someone, a shorter way of saying that. Thank you. You called me the so, boomer. Yeah, no, you're right. That's fair. Retribution. He's a YouTuber so with a channel called Answering Adventism. And uh, Miles, you grew up Adventist, correct? That's correct. So what our goal here today is, is to win you back to the one true church. That's been our, <laughs> we didn't tell you that, but that's our goal. Surprise. So, uh, but no, we need 10 minutes. 10 minutes would is you, all we need. Would you be surprised if I said, I'm not surprised? Yeah, no, I, I'm sure that you had plenty of those conversations. Well played. Yeah. Um, no, so uh, we're, we wanted to talk with Miles because, uh, Miles, you, you, have a, you have a story that we really want to hear and, and, and uh, engage with a bit. And also, um, you are someone who has, who has left Adventism, or I don't know, maybe you would term it differently, but um, has, has moved uh, beyond Adventism and still considers yourself, yourself a Christian. There's some people who might move on into atheism or to agnosticism or various other things. You still, you still are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and what you are trying to do with your channel is to um, talk about the dangers of Adventist theology and other cultural aspects of, of it is, is what I'm uh, seeing from your channel and having engaged with it. So yeah, man, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, you, what you, what you're doing right now, and then we'll get into your story a bit. Yeah. So um, kind of like we talked about a little bit before we started recording. Um, I'm not really like, I don't have a PhD. I don't have a THD. I'm not a theology major, um, any of those types of things. Um, I'm just a lay Christian or like an armchair theologian, if you will, a bit of a theology nerd. Um, and so, like you mentioned, I'm the face and the brain behind the YouTube channel, Answering Adventism. I was raised in the SDA church. Like you mentioned, my dad is a um, Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Um, I am a former third generation Seventh-day Adventist, and I was educated in Adventist institutions, um, all of my education through university, except for uh, high school. And uh, I basically, to cut to the chase, I could spend probably the whole discussion tonight talking about this. Um, but when I was 19, um, I had a friend who shared the gospel with me. Um, mm. Before getting into sharing the gospel with me, um, he asked if he could. And my response was kind of um, the... Western American, you know, we don't talk about religion and politics type um, thing of like, well, I know the gospel, I'm a Christian. Um, and I wasn't expecting the response that he gave. Uh, he said, well, can you share the gospel with me? Hmm. I said, oh, well, I was kind of given the answer, you know, that the, the lukewarm sort of cultural, um, yeah, like the, the nominal corporate or uh, like cultural Christian answer in hopes that we could kind of shift and move on to like the next thing in the discussion. And so I proceeded to basically give him the gospel that I was given as an Adventist. And he basically said, can I share something different with you? Um, because what I proceeded to present was a convoluted mess. And so he <laughs> gave the gospel to me and it really stuck with me. Um, he walked through scripture and basically explained, um, 
in what I know now is, or what you'd call a systematic terms. Um, he, he, he really walked through the scriptures and explained um, the, the problem of sin, uh, the need to be reconciled to your creator. Um, but the thing that really stuck out the most is, is how that is done and what mm. that means and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me. I wasn't converted there on the spot. Um, I didn't have like this, you know, we were going out to eat. So it's like, I wasn't in like the middle of the restaurant, uh, just having this total, you know, euphoric sort of thing going on. But, um, that stuck with me. Um, and this is a kind of a story in and of itself. Um, I was at the time, uh, pretty just nominal, if you will, in my faith. And after that moment, um, it's about a year and a half after that, um, had a pretty radical conversion, quite a bit changed in that year and a half from that moment to, um, conversion where my conversion was rather radical. Um, and I had an encounter with the true risen Christ and that radically changed me. And ever since then, I was on the hunt for what exactly happened because I wasn't in a church. I wasn't seeking for God. Um, I had a, a conversion experience at a moment that God ordained. That was the moment that God decided I was going to be raised to spiritual newness of life. And everything changed that day because now I had a conviction over the music I was listening to that I didn't have before. And I started to have this sort of internal conflict going on, which the scriptures describe as the new man now warring with the old man, Romans 7. And I had a hunger for the word of God. Um, I had a, a hunger for the biblical and historical Christ, his word and his church. And what that produced was uh, a real diving into the word in a way that I really hadn't seen done or understood before. And I'm leaving out a number of details because there's a lot of tertiary things here that we could get bogged down in. But um, I, I had to put myself in a situation or rather into an environment where I could be away from a certain crowd of people. So I actually moved back in with my mother at the time, um, who lived in the middle of nowhere. And by the middle of nowhere, I mean a rural township community of less than 150 people. Um, Wow. That is is truly the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Yes. So middle of nowhere. And I was thankfully able to find a job around there as well. So pretty much all I was doing was working and coming home. That was kind of, so I had a lot of free time on my hands. Well, I knew that I needed to get my life figured out. This is, again, I'm I'm 19 at the time. And so I had dropped out of school um, for the time being because I kind of didn't know what I was wanting to do. I was kind of hopping all over the place. And in that period of time, I also developed a hunger for the word of God, like I said, and began reading through the scriptures. Um to essentially fill this hunger that I had. And the more and more that I was doing that, the more and more that I started to feel convicted about the TV shows I was watching. I started to think I would hear the jokes and all of a sudden I wasn't laughing anymore. Mike, you know, that's not really funny. It's not funny that family guy is depicting Jesus that way. That's not funny. And I turned it off. I didn't turn it back on. So I don't have, that's not funny at all. There was a, a radical change that was happening. Pornography, gone. Didn't have a desire to watch porn anymore. 
um, all sorts of drugs. Didn't pick, haven't picked them up since. <laughs> so yeah, wow. something, so something wow. happened. Mm-hmm. And I was on a journey to find out exactly what happened. And in doing so, I was also tempted to go back to my traditions. And like I said, I'm, I'm leaving out a number of details here regarding, um, I would have said this entire time leading up to this, that I was a Christian. Um, like I said, I gave what I believe to be the gospel, the gospel that I was taught um, to this friend, etc. And so um, in this time of, of really pouring into the scriptures um, and essentially being born again, one other thing that I knew I needed to be doing was be a part of a local church. Well, this is where a lot of my tradition came in. And sort of came up underneath these thoughts of like, well, I need to find an Adventist church around me. Now, surprisingly, this town in the middle of nowhere, there is an Adventist church about 30 minutes away, which isn't that bad, surprisingly. (laughs) So, you know, I had temptations of things like that. um, And a lot of these theological undertones um, in my, my reading of scripture. But as I began to read more, I started to see something very different than what I was taught. Um, I started to see the scriptures in a completely different way, um, removing what you'd call formally the great controversy theme. Reading the Bible without all of that, um, I didn't bring a lot of the baggage to the text and read the Bible uh, through the lens of the great controversy, if you will. And what I quickly realized was that what I was taught growing up is what the Bible calls a false gospel. It is a, a false Christ. It's not a, it's not a true Christ. So Matthew's or Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says, regardless of, I just had a video on this tonight, actually. I um, watched it. That yeah. regardless of, of what your eschatological view of Matthew 24 is, and there's a number of schools out there and their different interpretations, the point can conclusively be made that Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says, false Christs are going to go out into the world and deceive many. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, that his concern for the church at Corinth, this is his second letter after the first letter has been sent, and he hears a follow-up message, and he writes a response essentially to um, the sanctification marks that he's basically been hoping and looking for regarding what he said in his first letter. And he says, I'm afraid that somebody, if they come in there, they're going to preach a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel, and you're going to believe it and fall prey to it. This is the same Paul that said in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, that there are false gospels out there and people that proselytize a false gospel are under a curse from God. And then he goes on to explain that there is a definite message in Romans 1, 16 through 17. And that message is the power of God unto salvation. That's the introduction, the segue or the bookend, if you will, because he ends Romans 16 with the same around roundabout way of saying the same thing, um, that there is a message that is the power of God unto salvation. And then he goes into Romans 1, essentially 8 through 8, um, expositionally or exegeting that message and laying out that gospel message in the book of Romans. And Miles, Miles if I can stop you there for yeah. a second. I want to get into, because I, I, where, I, where I believe you're going is sort of into the the differences that you experienced between what you grew up with Adventism and what you were seeing in the text, correct? That's correct. Okay. Before we get to that, do you mind if I just ask, like, what was it like, what was the sort of Adventism that you grew up with? Um, like, what, uh, like, what was it like in the home, the church spaces? Like what, what yeah. sort of, yeah. Um, well, so, and this kind of gets at the question of liberal and conservative within Adventism, which I would say are just euphemisms. 
for those who really believe the official doctrines and statements and teachings of the church versus those Ooh. who more so treat it kind of like a grab bag. Um, I call that. Oh, that's ad- interesting. Okay. I call yeah, that. Yeah. Ad- I call that Adventism light. Oh, um, interesting. Where okay. it's it's not. Um, I'm not necessarily aligned with the foundational fundamental beliefs. I well, fundamental belief number eighteen. Eh, I kind of toss that one. Um, you know, fundamental belief number twenty four, investigative judgment, the sanctuary. Eh, it's not really foundational. Eh, Mark of the beast. Eh, I don't know if it's necessarily Sunday. Eh, Sunday law. Eh, I don't know. Um, I call that Adventism light, or some people would call it like liberalism. Um, but I grew up based on those definitions in like a conservative or traditional Seventh Adventist house. Now, to a lot of people, that's going to mean who knows what. Um, it's kind of like if you say Calvinism in the Christian world, you don't know what you're going to get anymore. It's like, oh, do I want to <laughs> tell people that? Because is it hard Calvinism, sort of soft? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even just that, but just what people think that that means. Like, um, there's just so many, so many misunderstandings. So in the sense of the way I defined it, I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist household that believed the teachings. My dad's a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I grew up in churches throughout the Midwest of the country, basically. Um, and so my dad pastored various churches growing up. I went to various schools in various parts of the country, um, as, as it pertains to different states. It was all, like I said, in the Midwest. So maybe that's Midwestern Seventh-day Adventism. Um, but the Adventist Is church would th- have us believe that there's no sex within Adventism. It's all one unified thing. And that diff, you know, separation that- or division is a mark of Babylon. That's true. Yeah, it's true. I got to ask though: is that is the is the uh, twang that you have from the uh, from the Midwest? Is that where that's from? I, I don't know, man. Because I, you know, I obviously put up videos on the internet, so I have the unfortunate experience of having to hear my own voice a lot. <laughs> right. And um, I don't hear necessarily a twang, but again, it's because who, who's more used to my voice than me? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if. I think it might be the Midwest, but I grew up in the Midwest and I guess you could technically say the South. Um, all the states that I've lived in all touch one another. So it's like the Midwest oh, through yeah, like the, yeah. the South. So, but I grew yeah. up in, in six, seven, six or seven different states at various schools, various churches. Um, and my dad has evolved over time as well in terms of, I would still call him like conservative Adventism. Cause again, I would just define that as a household that believes the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh Adventist organization. That's that's the household I grew up in. It wasn't like we were doing seances in the room with like an Ellen White shrine and like, <laughs> um, you know, that. You know, it wasn't, you know people who do that? No, I guess I was just being a little pedantic that's to make the point. That's got to exist somewhere. It's going to exist wait, wait, somewhere. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. You guys didn't do that? Hold on. Wait, <laughs> what? Ooh, yeah. Sorry, Jesse, you're the only one. Dang it. We burned the big Frank candles yeah. just to put around the, just, just on them. <laughs> Just on a menorah. Just big Frank's on a menorah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The smell would have been terrible. Yeah. Oh, Dude, I stopped eating those. Even when I was still adhering to like Adventist health me- health message. Um, yeah, yeah. And like that whole thing. Um, I stopped eating those when I opened a can of them one time. Mm-hmm. And so you know how it was like six oh, no. in a this circle a and there's story. the yeah. seventh yeah. the seventh one yeah, in the center right of the, the can. Yeah. Yeah. It They forgot or it like somebody missed in QA or QC in quality mm-hmm. control yeah. because they forgot to dye that one. Oh, <laughs> oh no. no. What color was it? Gray. 
I pulled that thing out of the jar at like Ooh, that's amazing. at like fourteen or like thirteen, and I said, You're "No, like, never, no more Adventism." Yeah, <laughs> like, no more. At least it. no more big friends. That was that was it. That was the, that, that that was was the, the breaking point. You didn't realize yeah. it, Miles. That was the beginning of the end. That yeah. was the snowball. Okay. So, the gray but, big Frank incident. Yeah, but that that was my that was my upbringing. It was yeah, yeah. pretty like traditional SDA, but it wasn't like you know. And again, like I said, man, people are going to hear that and think uh, all a variety of sort of things like um, the household where Ellen White's read every day and like everything's spirit of prophecy, spirit of prophecy. It wasn't like that, but it was we we were a household that followed the foundational teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. See, because it's it's kind of interesting, like I grew up in a in a household that was, I mean, traditional i i were relatively traditional and went to a church that was fairly you know conservative traditional whichever term fits better but but um wh- one thing that i found consistently and you probably i think you've mentioned in your videos is like ellen white is a topic that gets mentioned but it's it's kind of funny because like the traditional or the 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 official statement of the church is that you know and even Ellen White herself I'm not equal with scripture or anything like that right but the felt experience and I'm curious if it was similar for you the felt experience was that she got used almost as much as the Bible in sermons often uh, even just by well-meaning people like that was consistent was consistently happening or um or like you know people would say well actually I don't even know how many people would have officially said but like uh you know people would sort of just by tone and what was focused on it's like you know when you get like dietary stuff or anything like that that, that ends up being the stuff that you feel the most especially as a young as a kid like you the know what you wear mm-hmm. yeah like what you wear what you're eating it's how people are talking about other people behind the scenes like when you're at home or you hear a couple of adults talking and they're like talking about someone who eats meat and you know and just yeah. some of the words they'll use or how they'll talk about it or like or or just how people who worship on Sunday are 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 viewed or or just how you know it's just like it it wasn't even so much my experience with the fundamental beliefs it was my felt experience of growing up in a church where the things that seemed to be focused on were, were these specific issues, sort of the things I mentioned and beyond that. And I'm just curious, was it similar for you? Like, cause I would assume that you probably didn't as a kid, just like you're not sitting there reading the fundamental beliefs off and like, Oh, I don't agree with those, you know, but it was it felt experience for you as well. Something along those lines or what? Um, I mean, that definitely probably played a part. Um, but like I said, my my issues arose post being born again. Sorry, um, but, but I guess uh, we'll get. I want to get to that in a second. But but was it similar like feeling as growing up as a kid? Like I'm just curious about. Yeah, if, if, so if their shared experience there. Um, I, I even as a kid, you know, I, I wasn't really big on the fact that we were forced to adhere to the health message. Um, yeah. I don't think that necessarily as like you know, you, your level of thinking and your cognitive development at those ages, depending on the age we're talking about is not as your, your level of awareness hasn't matured, um, yeah. like it has, you know, now. And so I'm able to look back a lot with hindsight and kind of, um, see things a little differently, but like in the moment, um, I actually liked being an Adventist. Mm. I didn't hate I, I understood there were differences about us than say my neighborhood kids who were the Sunday pagan Christians who were supposedly <laughs> going to come and hunt us down one day for some odd oh, reason. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. But I, I liked the Adventist world. I liked the Adventist culture. And if I'm being completely honest, um, 
I miss it to some degree. Um, there's things that I think are commendable about the culture. I think that there's things that other people could look at and, and if they had experienced, um, they would see, you know, this is a, a very nice, I like the way this is making me feel, if you will. I'm, ge- I'm um, generally genuinely curious about what some of those things are. Um, the sense of like, and there's like pros and cons to this, um, depending on the way that you look at it, I guess, mm-hmm. because I think to some degree it, and I'm going to use the big C word here that I think people are going to maybe be averse to hearing, but I'm going to say it. I'm excited. There's some of it that has a little bit of like a cultic vibe um, mm. of like, we have these pockets all over the country, like Loma Linda, Berrien Springs, yes. Chattanooga, mm-hmm. where like a ton of our churches congregate and like we have a ton of our own people and we kind of operate and function in this whole world. Like we work for the church that we are a part of and our doctor is a Adventist and the grocery store that we shop at's an Adventist and the school mm-hmm. we go to in the church. So there's some degree to it. That's kind of like, well, um, it's a little bit isolated, kind of like some cults are out there. But, um, I think in a different sense though, there's something special there about that. I think people could learn from regarding the sense of like community mm-hmm. and the importance of, of community. Um, there's a difference now being post seventh day Adventist in, in, uh, well, I, w- I would say a Christian now in like yeah. the, the, the Christian world. Um, one thing I think that that world could, could gather from the Seventh-day Adventist world is just that sense of like um, connectivity and community. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm often very critical of, of Protestantism, which uh, I'm a part of now, um, is the sense of, um, it, it's not formally stated in anything like the confessions or the creeds, et cetera, that... Um, you know, like Presbyterians, I'm a Presbyterian. We don't believe that like Baptists aren't Christians. We don't believe about mm-hmm. the church kind of the way the Adventist church does. Yeah. Um, so we don't mm-hmm. think that like, oh, we're the only one true organization. Um, yeah, we yeah. define the church differently. Um, but even in saying that within Protestantism, there's still a lot of division on those denominational lines. Um, hmm. Baptists and Presbyterians, and this is pretty much due to the history behind the two denominations, um, have a lot of, uh, interlocking and a lot of joint stuff that they do, um, sometimes, but, um, something I think that just the Christian world in general could learn in terms of what I appreciate about Adventist culture is just, yeah, that, that sense of like real, like connectedness and community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. definitely. It's sort of, you can go to a church, you know, in another country or, you know, on the other side of the country and you're like, Hey, we're all, you know, these are some of my people. It just sort of feels like that. It's, it's yeah. sort of a funny thing. And um, I, w- I would say that yeah. same thing probably if I, I went to another PCA church. Um, mm-hmm. But just in the sense of like, kind of like- way, I, what, just Because Adventists are so sheltered, I just want to explain. PCA is the Presbyterian denomination. Presbyterian Churches of America, correct? Is that yeah, it it's, it's, yeah, it's one of. Um, we're, yeah. the, we're the actually sound denomination. The PCUSA mm-hmm. is the, uh, what- we would call the, uh, the apostate branch. The heretic, um, the gotcha. Well, they, they split and basically they don't, um, they don't adhere to scripture the way that they should. And they affirm all yeah. sorts of, um, things that we're not going to get into tonight. But, um, yeah, the PCA is the, what the conservative branch of mm, um, yeah. the Presbyterian church goes back to the For reformation. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Even, so, even earlier, you mentioned Calvinism and I don't think that a lot of Adventists would even know what that, what that meant. <laughs> If so, they do, Cal- they typically are hearing it from people like Ty Gibson, and yeah. they're unfortunately oh, okay. getting the very like uh, 
they're getting the very like caricatured presentation, which I think is very easy oh, okay, to do. Gotcha. Not even not even just with yeah. Calvinism, but like systems in general. If you haven't like really yeah. taken the time to like That's understand true. what you're what you're saying, but um, yeah, 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 I, I agree. But yeah, I, Sean, you're I was gonna. Yeah, Miles, I was going to ask, because you did, you did mention, you, you said it in a careful way, obviously, uh, you know, saying, you know, I'm going to use the C word, I'm going to talk about that there's cult-like tendencies, but I just want to directly ask you, do you, do you consider Adventism as a part of the Protestant, um, uh, you know, the Protestant branch of Christianity, or would you consider it its own separate thing, it, even a cult? What would you say now looking back? It depends how you define cult. Um, I think a lot of times in people's minds, they think like Jim Jones and it's like this, like, yeah, that's yeah. like the real extreme side. Um, so depending on how you define it is, is a really important aspect. Um, to your first point, uh, no, I don't consider, I consider Adventism to be part of the restorationist movement. So I would view them no differently than say the church of Christ, Jehovah's witnesses, Mormons, etc. Basically, the groups in the 19th century that came about through saying that great the, true, the true church fell away. We're here to restore what's been lost, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Protestantism, I would also define differently than I think a lot of people, because I think we've gotten so far off the rails that now there's just so much confusion. And when I hear these things like there's over 30,000 Protestant denominations, it's just not true. Um, people are just regurgitating what they've read in like a Vox article or something like that. Um, I would consider Protestantism to be Presbyterians, Lutherans, and Anglicans, the three branches of the Protestant Reformation. If you're going to be Protestant, you have to go back to the Protestant Reformation. You can't just be a result like, say, Methodism. Um, Not that I have anything against Methodists, um, but like own your tradition. You're part of a different tradition. Baptist, Anabaptist, you guys are part of a different tradition. So I'm just big on like, clearly having defined terms so that we know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about something. Cause a lot of modern day evangelicalism, it's not reformed. It, it doesn't go back to the reformation. Um, mm. it, it's like its own thing. So I call that modern day evangelicalism. I think that should, mm. at least in the West, um, the East is a totally different story, but, um, I think that there needs to be a new title for that. Um, to the mm. question of cult, uh, I would, uh, depending on, like I said, how you define it, I'm using the old school, traditional or classical definition. Um, it's not necessarily that there is a specific leader that everyone is like Jim Jones rallied around where like anything he says, they're just like automatons just doing it. Um, I am defining it in the sense of the Christian world, which is essentially the same way that Walter Martin um, defined it back around his book, The Kingdom of the Colts. Um And that's not the only place, but that's one of um, the places I think there's a good succinct definition. And it's essentially a group that claims to be Christian, but isn't. So they're using Christian terminology, but they're bringing their own dictionary. They're not using the historical, um, classical, biblical or dictionary. Um, They're actually importing their own terms. So it sounds Christian, just like Mormonism, for example. We believe in Jesus. We believe in a trinity. Yeah, but the way they define those things, it's it's not Constantinople, Nicene, you know, classic, historic, Christian, biblical, Trinitarianism. Um, it, it's this idea that, well, there's three gods of this planet, but there's an infinite number of gods out there. We only worship the three gods of our planet, though, because yeah. he's the god over this. Well, that's not the Trinity, but they'll say we believe in the Trinity. So mm-hmm. it's cultic because it is using Christian language, but bringing um, in inserting its own terms. Would you would you say that? 
when you look at the, because you defined Adventism as the the 28 fundamental beliefs, just bottom line, would you say that some of those 28 um, would fall under that, that would be redefining what you would say is traditional Protestantism? Totally. Okay, so, so can you, let's, yeah, so, let's, let's oh, start getting ahead, this, in this direction. So maybe, Miles, let's start with, like, with the theological things that you started to see, and that will probably get us into some of these things around. Yeah. By the way, for anyone wondering, the book that Miles referenced um, is the book by Walt, is it Walter Martin, you said? Um, Yeah, Kingdom of the Cults. Yeah, is the book that sort of uh, got us that reputation, Adventist, that reputation of being a cult. And Um, unfortunately, most people don't know that Martin's position changed after he realized that the wool was pulled over his eyes. Uh, Say more about that. that. Jinx. I'm not sure so on the John Akerberg show, uh, this is post Kingdom of the Cults coming out. So for those that don't know, Kingdom of the Cults was a um, compilation book of a variety of groups that Walter Martin, who was at the time pretty well known um, Christian Research Institute, uh, doing research on what he believed to be cultic groups. And that was essentially the same definition that he was using was it's um, groups that are using Christian language but are actually veiling different beliefs that are outside of orthodoxy under those terms. Mm -hmm. And so he added Seventh-day Adventism into the appendix of the book. And while he did say that he did not recommend them to people, he said that he did not classify them as a cult. The problem for him, though, was that Martin should have taken his own advice in the book, which was to scale the language barrier. The thing that's so unique about Seventh-day Adventism and the thing that makes it so difficult for people to wrap their head around is this shifting of terms. The Adventist church is very, very good at PR. They are very, very good at using the right terminology that keeps a person from asking, well, wait, what do you mean by that? So Mm. they were able to do that very well um, when he was meeting with them. The evidence of this being changed is on YouTube, by the way. There's multiple people that have uploaded it on the John Ankerberg show. He's on there with William Johnson, who just passed away about four weeks ago, um, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was with him, and he was the representative that was sent. A number of other people were requested to or uh, offered to come on. They declined. He was the only one, so big props to him for being willing to do that. Um, but in that discussion, his, his biggest piece of contempt and the thing that he feels that they lied to him about, this also gets kind of into the doctrines, um, the, the book, um, questions on doctrine that they had in print for a season and then they pulled it off the shelves. And so that's essentially the linchpin that caused him to say, well, hold up now. Why aren't you going to sell this book anymore? This is the book that you essentially put out and gave to me to say, see, here's what we believe. But now yeah. you're not wanting to stand behind some of the stuff that's said in that book. And that caused a rift in and of itself. Cause there's people that say, well, I affirm questions on doctrine. Well, I don't. And so yeah. anyways, all that to say, the thing that really pulled the lynch pin for him was when he realized that, um, the seventh day Adventist organization is essentially, um, like the, ironically, the Roman Catholic institution. They have a uh, infallible interpreter of scripture. So instead of the magisterium or what you'd say the Holy See in Roman Catholicism, within Adventism, you have um, the spirit of prophecy couched in the writings of Ellen G. White and whatever she says on any given passage, that's the end all be all. And so because of that, he pressed William Johnson on that very hard in the discussion. And for anyone that watches that, you'll see there's a couple moments where um, 
he kind of had to just swallow and bite the bullet. And he just retorted to the, well, just read our fundamental beliefs. Mm. Um, he didn't want to answer the questions, but the point being is that Martin's opinion changed after realizing this and, and realizing that the wool was pulled over his eyes. He died shortly after, um, all of that. Mm. But, um, anyways, that's... It was an Adventist plot. We probably had him, <laughs> had him before he could, before he could put the next book out. Yeah. There's the next true crime right there. That's what yeah. we get taught to do here at the seminary. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. There's there's theodicy. There's there's a, a systematic theology and how to kill someone secretly. That's those are the classes Anthony's taking right now. Adventist assassination fundamentals 101. Gosh. So no. Uh, so let's talk then a little Definitely bit because um, let's talk a little bit then about your journey specifically. So you. Here you are having this this moment where you've experienced um, God in, a, in in an incredibly real way. You have experienced a massive shift in your life, and um, a lot of the stuff that Paul talks about that like war between the spirit and the flesh, and and uh, and the other things that you mentioned. Okay, so now you're studying the Bible. What are the things that are starting to make you like you're looking at Adventism, what you grew up with, and what you're seeing? And you already mentioned the Great Controversy, but maybe we go from there. Yeah. The Gospel. That was the first thing um, was the the gospel. Obviously, like I told you, I had an interaction with a friend who shared the gospel with me. Um, and upon that, I and you have to think, Could, too, I, I mean, go ahead. Well, I'm curious, like, what is, what is the Adventist gospel? So I'll get to that in a moment. One thing I want to preface with, though, is that you have to understand the context, too, of like, because people may think to themselves, well, if you heard a different gospel— and realize, then how could you have been tempted to go back to Seventh Adventism? You have to think in terms of like in the moment. I'm like a babe in Christ. I don't know a lick of theology for the most part in terms of like understanding systematic theology, covenant theology, Calvinism, Arminianism, the Reformation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know any of that stuff. I just know I love the the historical biblical Christ. He saved me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a new creature in Christ. I know I need to be reading the Bible, so I'm going to read the Bible, and I know I need to be going to church. That's kind of where I'm, I'm at at that point. Yeah. So um, the Adventist gospel is the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. Um, and this oh, is because yeah. all mm-hmm. of Adventist theology is going to be downstream of Ellen White. Now, I know that you guys may take umbrage with that, but this is now getting back into what are the fundamental beliefs of the organization? The fundamental beliefs of the organization— say that Ellen White's writings speak with prophetic authority. This mm-hmm. changed about seven or eight years ago. It used to say they speak; they are a continuing and authoritative source of truth. I am of the opinion, I don't have evidence for this, so this is just my hypothesis. I don't think anything has changed from the leadership that caused them to change that because, oh, we don't believe she's a continuing authoritative source of truth anymore. I think there was too much Mm -hmm. flack and heat in the way it was worded. And so now it says a prophetic source of authority, which is essentially Mm -hmm. saying the same thing because the Bible speaks with prophetic um, authority. Yeah, there's some there's some sketchiness in that belief when I read it. I'm just like, ooh, that it's it's saying I believe it's as similar to the prophets of or even the same as the prophets of Scripture. Well, they use, and it's even in the footnotes of that. Well, Ted has said that, but it's also in the footnotes of the proof text in the fundamental belief, um, quoting from Timothy, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, correction, 
etc. So it's using the it uses yeah. the identical language in that belief, but applies it to essentially the writings of Ellen White. So because that is the case, what Ellen White says on any given passage goes. This is what the statement of confidence in the writings of Ellen G. White says. Adventist.org slash and then official statements of confidence in the writings of Ellen G. White. In paragraph three, we affirm our conviction that her writings are divinely inspired, truly Christ-centered and Bible-based. Rather than replacing the Bible, they uplift the normative character of scripture and correct inaccurate interpretations of it derived from tradition, human reason, personal experience, and modern culture. So all of Adventist theology, which is essentially purported and held up by the theologians, the scholars of the organization, and then essentially trickles down from there into the pews, is going to come from from Ellen G. White. So because that's the case, the way Ellen describes the gospel is the same way that people like Herbert Douglas describe the gospel. So I have an article here. Am I able to share my screen or do you want me to just read? I don't know if we can do that on this one. That's that's fine. Yeah. I'll just I'll just read. But the Adventist gospel is branded as the everlasting gospel, which is the phrase that's found in Revelation 14:6. Yeah, from the three angels message. Yep. yep. And so in this paper, this is from Ministry Magazine from 2000. This is from Herbert Douglas. He's passed away since, but He says in here, for Seventh-day Adventists, the great controversy theme is the core concept that brings coherence to all biblical subjects. Every philosophical or theological system builds on a central governing theme or paradigm. Its central theme becomes that system's core truth and determines all of that system's principles and policies. Stephen Hawking, the remarkable Cambridge physicist, wrote in his 1988 book, A Brief History of Time, that should science discover the long-sought theory of everything to explain the varying mechanisms of the universe, we should know the mind of God. Seventh-day Adventists have been given that, a perspective which provides a theory of everything. It introduces us to the mind of God. We didn't discover it. It was given to us. We call it the Great Controversy Theme. How we understand this core theme directly affects how we grasp the intent of biblical writers when they used words such as righteousness, salvation, gospel, etc. The great controversy theme helps us to work our way through centuries of theological confusion over the meaning of such realities as justification, sanctification, atonement, obedience, and works, the five categories of the gospel. Without the... So if I could just stop you there for a yep. second. So so basically the, the premise that you're operating under is that, um, and I don't mean that as a slight, I'm just trying to understand, yep. that uh, that the great controversy, Ellen White first, and from her the great controversy idea, is the thing that then permeates down through everything else. Therefore, that is the Adventist gospel. Is that fair to say? Well, no, not quite. Let me finish this here, okay. which there's, I only have a yeah. couple sentences left, and then I'll explain it. it. And Ted kind of mentioned this, actually. I, I watched the video that you sent, and Ted yeah. essentially was going through some of these things, but not wording them in the, the directest of ways. I'm like, dude, you're being long-winded to essentially say, I, an Adventist is somebody that affirms the investigative judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it continues. Without the great controversy theme, all would remain divided over such subjects as the importance of the Old Testament sanctuary service and the New Testament view of Christ as our high priest and mediator, the meaning of faith and grace, the place of obedience in relation to legalism, why Jesus came the first time, why he came the way he did, and when he will return. So the Adventist gospel is defined through the great controversy theme. Mm -hmm. So the Adventist gospel is the three angels' messages. In that, Ellen White included the great or the uh, the investigative judgment, young earth creationism. The second angel's message entails the call to come out of Protestant churches 
which are the apostate Protestants of Babylon, the whore daughters of uh, the Roman Catholic Church from Revelation 17. Then you have uh, the third angel, which is supposedly the warning, the final call and the final warning, or actually the fourth angel's message, I guess would technically be that, which is just a reiteration. Um, the call to come out and, or you're going to get the mark of the beast, which is Sabbath, which is seventh day Sabbath keeping. And then Ellen White tied onto it, the right arm of the gospel, which is the health message. So the seventh day Adventist gospel is essentially the distinctive pillar doctrines of the seventh day Adventist church. That's the way that people like Isaac Olatunji, professor at Oakwood and pastor of state line SDA church. I know that he's going to be labeled and he embraces the fact that he's called the conservative nutcase and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. But that is the Adventist gospel. It's the distinctive pillar doctrines. It is not the good news that by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, you can have reconciliation before God and that um, essentially in Christ, you can be seen as holy, fully righteous based on Christ alone, based on the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. See, what's, what's interesting about it, because I, I agree with everything that you're saying from the, from the standpoint of like, that is how, that is the, the central message of the Adventist church, right? And so it's, I, I struggle to label it gospel. I get, I guess you could say it's the gospel of the Adventist church. I struggle to label it that because like the gospel is the gospel. It's, it's, you know, so if it's, if it's something else, it's not the gospel, but like, the, I guess the, the, uh, what, what's interesting about it is I know Anthony and I, at least, and maybe you too, Sean, got introduced to the gospel through one of our, uh, uh, through one of the deans at our high school, um, named Dean Clifford. And he, he started, he was like big into 1888. Like the, uh, for those who don't know, there was this big conference in 1888 general conference. The, uh, whole message of justification by faith was really kind of put, um, put on the table there, not even on the table. It's just like being preached. And Ellen White did get behind that. Um, but the conference as a whole, general conference as a whole kind of shut it down. And so that's where we started to enter maybe what we might term the legalism of the last over a century. Um, but, not that, not that it wasn't there before that, but that's sort of like a really, really, really basic idea of that. But we got introduced to the gospel kind of through that, that the idea of justification by faith. So what's what's really interesting is, I guess, if you're going to, you could call the gospel of Adventism what you just labeled, but also that there was, there has been a movement all along within Adventism that isn't that, and it, but it's on the fringes. <clears throat> so that's where I'm kind of curious, like, is 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 it so narrow for you? Again, I don't mean that as a slight. I'm just curious. Is it so narrow for you that there can't be a diverging, like, movement within Adventism that sees it in a different light versus how the because because there's a whole other thing where you take the interpretation of those fundamental beliefs and you say this is how it's this is how it's 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 stated. Therefore, it must mean this. Therefore, that is what Adventism is saying. But really own almost anything that we that we do there's always sort of like a well i see what you're saying but also it could be seen this way and so that's why guys where i'm curious like do is there is there for you room in what it means to be an adventist to be someone who believes something that is different um in 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 at least subtle ways from what you've just described well the question becomes can the fundamental beliefs be understood as they're stated can I believe, does fundamental belief, is fundamental yeah. belief number 18 clear? It says Ellen White's writings speak with prophetic, prophetic authority. authority. Yeah. What does that mean? The Bible speaks with prophetic authority. Well, I read you the statement of confidence in, in the writings of Ellen G. White. That's from the Adventist institution. Mm -hmm. So 
why would I want to be a part of an institution if I disagree with that? Who, because the the ramifications of that is that what she says goes. So if you're going to hold the justification by faith alone, Adventists oftentimes love to, to cling on to the verses like, well, Ellen White never claimed to be a prophet. They quote the same quote every time and they don't actually read the whole thing in context. She actually goes on to say that she's more than the name signifies. She didn't call herself a prophet because she did far more than the name signifies. She considered herself a messenger from the Lord who was being given messages to reveal to God's people. So if that's the case, we then have to look at all of the statements in totality, which includes mm-hmm. all of what she said on justification. Yes, but so for instance, like, sorry, Anthony, just one sec. The, uh, the, the belief number 18, scriptures testify that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. This gift is an identifying mark of the remnant church. We believe it was manifest in the ministry of Ellen White. Okay, so let's just take that. Say, say someone were to interpret that as, okay, well, the gift of prophecy, there are many people who've had the gift of prophecy right but there is there is the future prediction version of that where it's like everything they predict in the future and then that's one of the like yeah. you know check and see if what they say is true but then there's even like you look through the you look through the stories of the old testament and you see um people who were prophets who were surrounding kings and things like that right and then you have like guys like Nathan in the bible who speaks to david he seems to be a, a true prophet of god right who is speaking what God is saying to David and he's mentioned. And there's other people who are prophets who aren't mentioned um, as either being false or not false. They just happen to be prophets around them. So it's like the gift of prophecy, theoretically, I'm not even trying to argue for one thing or another. I'm just saying like the gift of prophecy, theoretically, is something that people can have the gift of prophecy, but not always speak the 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 exact word of God in those circumstances because is it from God, is it their own words, right? So if that's the case, if you were to interpret it that way, then that in and of itself starts to break down the trickle-down effect of what you're saying. In practice, it's not that way, but let's just say someone does believe that. It would begin to tr- break the trickle-down effect. Do you see room for that within Adventism, like that way it's stated, or is, is it is it just simply like, well, no, it says this, therefore? Who, who defines the fundamental beliefs? Does the organization? Or is it just a grab, like, well, it can mean whatever you want it to mean, because whatever mm-hmm. it means to you, that's just... That's okay. It can mean, it's like, a, it's just this sort of like nebulous sort of, there's like words there, but eh, you can kind of port that in however you want. Cause I would then point to, like I said, I, or what I just read, the, the statement of confidence in her writings, they correct mm-hmm. inaccurate interpretations of scripture. So yes. if that's the case, do then you affirm? Be, yeah. I see yeah so, 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 so do you, do you affirm this? I'm going to read you a quote here. I've read this quote many times to lots of people. If you believe justification by faith alone, which again, this is now getting into, and I'm not necessarily accusing you of, do, of doing this. This is yeah, just no, pointing back to what I was saying earlier about the definition of terms. The reason I read that paper from Herbert Douglas, it defines justification, sanctification, the gospel, etc. Mm-hmm. Justification by faith alone. Well, what does that mean for the Adventist? That's a Protestant doctrine. Yeah. That's a Protestant pr- product of the the Reformation in terms of it's, I, I wouldn't say it's novel to the Reformers. It's not. We can look at Marius Victorinus and other church fathers. If you read Calvin, the other Reformers by proxy, you're going to read a lot of the church fathers. Um, so they were just essentially, God was bringing out the magnifying glass, if you will, at that point and mm-hmm. really highlighting some things. But if you believe justification by faith alone, as it is purported by Orthodox Christian teaching, this is not going to comport with that. This is Ellen White, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, page 294. She says, quote, 
man who has defaced the image of God in his soul by a corrupt life cannot by mere human effort affect a radical change in himself. He must accept the provisions of the gospel. He must be reconciled to God through obedience to his law and faith in Jesus Christ. The key there being reconciliation, not good works, not the yeah. law, not that, oh, the law has no place. And I'm not, at, I'm not here personally advocating for antinomianism. I'm not an antinomian. You can look at uh, Presbyterian theology for that. But um, he's reconciled to God by obedience to his law and faith in Christ. His life from thenceforth must be governed by a new principle through repentance, faith, and good works, he may perfect a righteous character, and then through that, claim the, through the merits of Christ the privileges of the sons of God. Close quote. Yeah. That's the system yeah. of, of justification in, hefty. In, in Adventism. It's that you're reconciled to God, not by faith alone, which then will lead to, um, as James says, uh, a, a true living saving faith produces works, um, mm-hmm. but those works do not play a part in my reconciliation. Paul tells us explicitly in Romans 5 in his exposition of the gospel after he's talked about the natural fallen condition that man is in, Romans 1 through 3, and then using Abraham as an example in Romans 4 to say that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was Mm. before he did anything with Isaac. That was before he was circumcised, anything. He truly believed. He was reconciled. And then because he truly believed, it led to fruit um, because the Holy Spirit does not remain dormant in any person that the Holy Spirit dwells. So mm-hmm. Paul explicitly tells us in Romans 5 that man is reconciled to God by faith alone. That's not to say, again, that there won't be any good works. There there yeah. will. But the works are not something that retain or maintain my justification. What Ellen's mm-hmm. teaching here is a medieval mm-hmm. Roman Catholicism. Mm. <laughs> That's what the Reformation. You can't do Ellen like that. You can't do that. You well, can't do. You can't take her own words and great. do the very thing that she would well, absolutely man, hate. I say this a lot, and and people give me flack for it. And I would challenge you, folks. You need to to go and and really study the issues because I oftentimes hear people, especially around the 500 year anniversary, which was in 2017 of the Protestant Reformation. Um, Ty Gibson openly admitted, and I've done a video on this, um, that they were tasked to try and preach sermon a sermon series on the Reformation. And he picked the five solas of the Reformation. And I get Adventists all the time that comment on my videos. We're Protestants. We go back to the Reformers. We're like the Reformers. And as somebody who's Reformed, folks, I can tell you that is not the case at all. And uh, if, if you go back to the Reformation, one of the central, the, one of the primary, I, I mean, the fulcrum, of the Reformation was the issue of a two-tiered system of justification, that sanctification Mm. and justification are essentially intermingled to the point where there's an initial phase that, of course, is by grace through faith alone. That's what Rome affirms. Of course, it's only by God's grace through faith alone. That's what Ellen says at the beginning. It can't be by mere human effort. She's essentially espousing what's called semi-Pelagianism here. It's you can't do it, of course, completely of your own. You need the mm-hmm. grace of God, but like then you need, you need help. It's, correct. It's, it's, yeah. But yeah. then after that, it's your it's your obedience that yeah. retains your righteous standing before God to the point mm-hmm. where you could fall away because um, you're not obedient enough. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. it's a intermixing of the law and the gospel, which the primary focus for the reformers in this category, the, the proper term would be called the law gospel distinction. Mm. Miles, I and I mean, I just want to start off by saying I really appreciate your story and like everything you're sharing about like your upbringing and, and stuff like that. Um, 
resonates with us, um, at least to me as we're listening, I know probably to Justin and Sean as well. Sean and I are both pastor's kids as well. So uh, we, we resonate. Um, we, we, we feel the experience, feel the pain in some ways, uh, but, but, but resonate. And, um, you know, some background for us, you know, and I'll use this to lead into our, to my question for you. Um, part of the reason we started this podcast, um, a few years ago was because we had all grown up in the Adventist system the whole way through and went through theology, religion departments in Adventist schools, and then came out, we're working in, you know, for the church, all three of us. And we ended, and we discovered that we were starting to hold our theology differently than we did when we were growing up. That there had been some shifts that had taken place, and that in many places, um, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, um, I either flat out disagreed <laughs> with Adventist theology, or I, or I, um, I saw things differently. Um, I was in. I was uh, reading fundamental beliefs, and I was holding my Adventism differently than I did when I was in undergrad. Um, and a lot of that had to do with, as Jesse mentioned before, like sort of a transformative experience with the gospel that I had, um, and all three of us had. But again, to speak for myself, I, um, you know, as you were sharing your story, I really resonated with it because I felt so much, so many of the things that you felt, and so much of that burden released, you know, upon being born again and and receiving Christ coming to the knowledge of like justification and, you know, being called family by the father. And that, um, that's, it changed my life, frankly. And I, um, so over time it began, it, I couldn't reconcile some things theologically. So I really, all this to say, I really resonate with your story. And I wondered for you, um, or I guess I'll say one more piece is that as I re-entered in, I discovered a few things, but for, but namely, I guess the most pertinent one is um, sort of the ending of that fundamental uh, belief number 18 uh, that you read, which is, uh, you know, the scriptures testify that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. The gift is identifying mark of the remnant church. We believe it was manifested in the ministry of Ellen White. Her writings speak with prophetic authority and provide comfort, guidance, instruction, and correction to the church. They also make clear that the Bible is the standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested. And I realized that, and I was like, oh, snap. So if the Bible is the standard and Ellen White affirms the Bible is the standard, then I'll just go back to the Bible. So a lot of my journey was completely throwing out Ellen White and being like, oh, who cares what she has to say? I'm just going to read the Bible because she says to do that. And then when I did that, I, I again resonated with your experience. And out of that, I began to see there was a vision for an Adventism that perhaps was faithful to the Bible first and foremost, sola tota prima. And uh, I wondered for you, if there were an Adventism that held the Bible as sola tota prima, the Bible alone, the first alone, above all other revelations alone, um, would you have any interest in that type of Adventism, if it did exist? No. Dang. Because uh, you're going to have to throw out the hermeneutic as well. If you throw out Ellen more, White, if you throw out Ellen White, you're going to throw out the Adventist hermeneutic. The great controversy theme then goes out. You have to throw out the mark of the remnant church. You have mm. to throw out um, the investigative judgment. You have mm. to throw out 1844, which is what the movement was ultimately birthed out of, not the Seventh Day Sabbath, which is not unique to Seventh Day Adventism. Um, you have to throw out 
all of these foundational pillars. You have to throw out the health message being the right arm of the gospel because it flies in the face of Mark 7, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Um, you, you just, you're going to have, if you do that, then the next move is you got to throw out all sorts of stuff. And at that point, why be an Adventist? Come join, mm, uh, come join the Orthodox body of Christ and find the denomination then because those are the unique distinctives of Adventism. It's not just like when Adventists say, oh, they just want to, and I'm not saying that you guys are doing this too. I, I just, I get it with a lot of people where it's like, you guys are playing a game. You're, well, Seventh-day Adventism in the name itself, it just means Seventh-day Sabbath and we believe in the return of Christ. So do Seventh-day Baptists and they're not Seventh-day Adventists. It's more than that, folks. It, come on. You can't dismiss before yeah, the years 44 for sure. to 63 and say, well, we were in court like Doug Batchelor does. Oh, we were incorporated in 1863. Forget about all that stuff, you know, back in the, the, the 30s and the, the 40s. And eh, none of that stuff even matters, even you're though that's what, what we were actually born out of. What you're referencing is like the the Millerite movement. So like, yeah. Yeah, don't worry about that too much. We started yeah. in 1863. That's when our, that's our official starting yeah. point. So it's like, if you're going to throw out Ellen, you're then going to have to throw out the investigative judgment. You're going to have to throw out all these other things. So now you throw out 1844, you throw out the fulfillment of, and the interpretation of Revelation 14 being about, you know, the first and second angels message had their fulfillment in the call to come out of the churches at that time. And then call of the investigative judgment, all that other stuff. So that's the first domino that now the whole thing falls. And at that point, mm. why would you want why to remain a part of an? Yeah, it's like there's no need now at that point because that the distinctive message that they bring to the world um, is this call that they're the remnant, which is marked by Ellen White. And the call is to come out of her, my people, which is all these other churches, because we're the one true church that's restoring this everlasting gospel from the other churches out there, as Herbert Douglas calls them, that have these limited gospels. Mm. So... I'm uh -huh, curious, uh -huh. Sean and Anthony, what do you guys think about that? Because I, to be honest, generally agree. There's probably a couple of points, you know, I might dispute slightly, but like, I think I generally agree with Miles. Yeah, I'm, I've, I'll let Sean talk in a sec, but like, I think I, I agree with the majority of it. I just think that there's more, and I'm, I'm the least argumentative one here, Miles. I, my, and my personality, I just want to let you know. Argue. Let's my go. Personality, Come on. I, I want to. I want to be friends with all. Round one. <laughs> well, I think um, friends say hard things to to one yes, another. Personally, I, I'm not offended by you know. Definitely. Whatever, so, and I really appreciate the discussion. I think that upon hearing what you're saying, I agree with almost all of it. I would only push back and say, I think when you really read Ellen White and you read through her over time, and you do you're a, talking, are you talking about her like reading over time? Like you reading over time or reading her development over when time? you read her de her her authoring development over time from you know eighteen sixty eight all the way into nineteen o six ish you begin to see that she held the Bible as her highest authority and constantly pointed back to the Bible as the highest authority, so therefore, if she held the Bible to the highest authority, therefore, I see room within Adventism for the Bible to be held as the highest authority. And just as an example of this, you know, you, you mentioned there's one quote that she makes, you know, about not being a prophet, the Adventist quote all the time, but she actually does this like over, there's like nine, nine or 10 times, you know, where she says, it wasn't me. We're like in uh, Review and Herald in 1906, she says, uh, when I was last in Battle Creek, I said before a large congregation, I did not claim to be a prophetess. Twice I referred to this matter, intending each time to make the statement, I don't claim to be a prophetess. So she says it, and that's only one of the many times. But okay, 
But hold on, hold on. But Miles's point is that if the way that 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 the statement of beliefs are that there's a there's this beginning point. If I'm if I'm quoting you correctly, Miles, or trying to summarize correctly, there's this beginning point, which is that this is how we view Ellen White, and if Ellen White is a light to Scripture to correct incorrect doctrine, then that is sort of her interpretations of this and her explanations of this, or how we interpret these 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 points in in Scripture. Therefore, if that's the case, from there comes a a whole trickle down effect into everything else that we believe. Which you know, she confirms 1844. She confirms um, certain certain uh, uh, belief systems as we move on in the church. At least there was like a, a, a small period where she does that, and from there, then you get a lot of the other stuff that we get. So you know, what he's talking about with with like Babel, like we're leaving Babylon or come out of Babylon. That means the Sunday churches, and that's what Ellen White says it is, and so therefore that's what it means. So it's like that is sort of the core starting point that we kind of have to ask ourselves is like, what do you think about that? Because that is what the church says, whether we say it or not. I mean, whether, whether it's directly stated or not, it's, it's, it's stated in there. It's, it's how it gets interpreted. It's, you know, yeah. Well, and her, it like, says when it says her writings are divinely inspired. And so now you have two issues. Ellen White claimed she never wrote a single sentence of heresy. She says the author of the Holy Bible and the spirit of prophecy is the Holy Spirit. Verbatim. You want me to read it to you? When did she write that? No, believe- I, I've I've heard that before too. I mean the the what year did she write that? One of the This is from nineteen hundred. Ten fifteen years before her death. The and Holy is- Ghost is the this is from letter ninety two from nineteen hundred. You the code for this is in Selected Messages, book three. It's three SM thirty point three. The Holy Ghost is the author of the scriptures and of the spirit of prophecy. These are not to be twisted and turned to mean what man want them to mean, to carry out man's ideas and sentiments, to carry forward man's schemes at all hazards. Close quote. And I guess my point is, it's like, for a second, let's lay what you just said aside, Miles, not not to avoid it, because but because but because we don't have time to fully address, like, yeah. is Ellen White a prophet or not? The, the right. main thing that, that, and we've we've done an episode on that, you can hear our feelings on it, but... um. But like, I am curious what you and you and Sean think because it's like what Miles laid out. I think I generally agree with it. If if you throw out Ellen White or you say that she's, you know, let's just let's just move her to the side. Let's only focus on Scripture. You don't necessarily end up in the same places. And we even found that. Oh like yeah. We like I found that when For I'm sure. looking into Scripture. I'm like, oh, some it. of this stuff is sort of read into Scripture. Like the like some of the ideas of of. Uh, of um, it's the, the great controversy. Yeah. So I don't know, Sean, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So uh, going back miles to, you, you mentioned um, Herbert Douglas's article, um, which, and now it's been a while, so I'm, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but you, you mentioned this, this idea that the, and, and maybe even it was also a, a GC quote um, that was about the, the lens in which we, have our beliefs, our, our fundamental beliefs, our doctrine is through what she said. And I, I guess what came to my mind immediately again, and you can freshen me up on exactly how you said it was the, the other way that I've seen it, at least the, the thing that I've been able to, uh, for me, reconcile my Adventist beliefs or being firm in, in that, uh, system of, of viewing scripture is that the, the historical way that it took place of when it came to 
you know, these different denominations coming together when it came to the formation of the Adventist church, um, that there was this process of study and then confirmation. And that could probably be its own conversation itself on how that all happened historically. But, um, and, and I think, you know, George Knight talks about this a lot. Adventist author George Knight talks about that the, the, the process was that they would separately read scripture, read the Bible, and that when we talk about these visions of Ellen White, when we talk about the teachings, that separately those processes, you know, they, they happen separately. And so that when the discussion happened after the fact, it was confirmation of what had already been studied, that when they she, questioned She would Hayes, have a vision afterwards and then after the discussion, and then she would confirm So the idea what, was that they, what had they been had, stated. Is that what you're the, saying, the, John? Yeah, like the fundamental beliefs or the core tenets of Adventism came through this study post-1844. And then after that, when they had prayed, when they're like, is this, you know, what the scripture is really saying, uh, that there'd be this process of confirmation through Ellen White's vision. So not this process of she'd have a vision and then that would guide what the beliefs were. And again, maybe I'm not understanding what you were getting at with with Herbert Douglas's quote about, um, you know, the way that the Adventist church views scripture and and through the lens and, and, you know, that that things trickle down from, from Ellen White. But I'm just curious what you think about that, that concept that, that the Avenus founders themselves, those, those pioneers studied the scripture, studied the Bible itself. And that's where they got their belief system from. So I cover this in a live stream with a friend of mine, who's also a former Adventist. Um, it's on my channel for those that are curious called spirit of prophecy or deception. Um, you're correct in the way that, uh, and I correct people, uh, very regularly, um, even former Adventists who are very zealous in their uh, frustrations, um, who say that Ellen White formed the doctrines of the church. And I actually correct them and say, no, Ellen White didn't actually um, formulate any of the doctrines of the church. This is documented for people who are curious in the book, Early Writings. It starts on page 46 and you can read through, it's about 30 or so pages and she explains the process. And you're right to one degree that she wasn't formulating the doctrines, but that's not exactly how it worked. She explains it as she would be sitting there dull of hearing her words. Um, and she wouldn't understand anything that was being said. The men would be studying the Bible. Mm -hmm. They would, whenever they would come to something unanimously, they would okay, cool. And they would move forward with it. But when there would be either confusion amongst them or they weren't quite able to understand something, she would conveniently go into a trance and be shown the, the correct thing. And after coming out of it, she would say what it was. And that now gave the stamp of approval on it. So that's how the investigative judgment was actually solidified and confirmed. She claimed that she didn't read a paper that she was left alone with from Joseph Bates, where there was already a number of people, uh, two or three people, um, who were discussing this theory and idea. And she claimed uh, one night to be sick and she was she had a headache. And so she claimed that she wasn't going to be able to go to a meeting that they were all having regarding theology and that sort of stuff. And while she was left alone with this paper, she claimed she didn't read it because reading was giving her a headache. This is all documented for those that are curious as well um, in that video, as well as the second vision manuscript from um, 19 or sorry, uh, 1845, February of 1845. Um, but she says that she um, didn't look at this paper and it was revealed to her by God that this was correct. And when they all ended up getting together again, um, someone read something from that paper and she says, oh, wow, this is the first I'm hearing of this because the 
only thing that was revealed to me on this topic was from God himself. And that's exactly what I was shown from the Lord. And so that gave the stamp of approval on this uh, idea as being from God, which was then solidified in. So I agree with you in the sense that she didn't originate, you know, she wasn't sitting down saying this is what it is. And therefore, you know, boom, I'm saying that's the way that she functions today, because that's the way that the spirit of prophecy functions in the Seventh Adventist Church. What Herbert Douglas was saying in this article is that it's not just the great controversy, it's the great controversy theme. It's the paradigm. So it's going to what is said there. And the Bible is read now through that lens. It's read through the lens that the reason Jesus came is to vindicate the law of God. Well, that's not what scripture says. This is a subtle varying and twisting of what the scriptures say to say something yeah. different. It's Jesus came well, it's a, to fulfill. Cor- correct. But and, not, not for that purpose. Not and, uh, what, How did and, you put it before? Yeah, well, Ellen said that Jesus came to vindicate the law of God, but this is then downstream of the theory that Satan, and you have to get into this pre-earth origin story, which is the great controversy. That is very odd because it's not anywhere, it's not really anywhere in scripture. But Jesus had to come to silence the accusations of Satan because Satan rebelled because he was jealous that Jesus was exalted to be made equal with the Father. This caused him to then become jealous and envious of Jesus and form a rebellion in heaven and want to form his own government of self-governance where he built, basically went out on an all-out war against the law of God because the Ten Commandments are what are governing heaven. Somehow, uh, do not commit adultery is governing angels. Um, yeah. <laughs> obey your parents. But um, it's all downstream in that sense. So they'll say, yeah. we only believe the Bible. We just, I get that all the time from Adventists. We, I, just, I don't read Ellen White. I just believe the Bible. Well, then you start getting into these things and it's, you believe the Bible through the lens of this great controversy theme, and that's causing you now to interpret everything. So that's See, this, what I was this getting is, at with that. This is my question to you and to Anthony and Sean, because this is where I, I, I think I, no, agree I agree with that Absolutely. more, more than, more than I don't with, with Miles, mm-hmm. because there is this reality that as soon as I started reading scripture for myself, I was like, I don't see a lot of what I grew up with. Like, yeah. I don't see like... And mm-hmm. and then for instance, this is a sort of interesting thing, like the uh, in Isaiah, oh shoot, is it eighteen, where it talks about the morning star, like uh, like Lucifer's like the morning star and all this stuff, and like Ezekiel, or, Ezekiel, uh, yeah. Ezekiel. And what's funny about that is 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 it's most likely not even talking about the devil. It's most the likely king of a time. play. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's well, it's most likely a play off of the uh, the Babylonian um, uh, creation myth. And comparing how Nebuchadnezzar is comparing himself to to uh, to that um, that God from from that creation myth. Well, and there's sort of, some interesting Hebrew in there. No, for sure. I'm not you saying read but in Hebrew, it's, but but to, but it's wild, dude. Like I'm reading through it, and all of a sudden I get there, and I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, hold on. I've heard this before. It's talking about Satan. There's literally like contextually, it makes no sense. Context- all of a sudden, you're talking like, about. No yeah, but but that's the thing though is like we do that we do that with scripture and then it gets confirmed and then it gets and then it gets blown up into a whole origin story that isn't it's not in scripture like all, everything that's talked about there isn't in scripture it's it's a uh, a we started with certain presuppositions because of our interpretations of these texts and then it gets blown into a wider story with a with a more colorful narrative I'm not saying any of that to be to be um uh, 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 to attack what is said other than just to say that that's, that's, that is what sort of happened is like, there's none of that is contextually in scripture. 
um, this like war, like the war in heaven is in revelation, but what the war in heaven is like specifically about gets really, really widened in Ellen White's writings. And so like that's, and then that becomes, as Miles is talking about the thing that, that is downstream from every or upstream from everything that, that informs everything from there, which sort of, which sort of interesting thing. And I'll, and I'll say one last thing before we hear your response is that I, I guess my point of disagreement with you, Miles, is mo- mostly in that I think that there's room for at in, there's room within Adventism for people who say, "Hey, we need to we need to pay attention to those things and readdress those things and see a lot more discussion and and uh, and theological um, openness to some other ideas." That's where, like, that's why I'm still an Adventist because I'm like, well, I I don't necessarily agree with all of those things, but I believe that there's a movement and room within the movement for that, that sort of like, Hey, let's, let's fight for something here. So, but, but I'm curious, but, yeah. but what are you, so what do you, what's the thing that you're fighting for then? What, what, Just why, like, why be an Adventist if you're going to, so are, do you throw out the investigative judgment? I think that, well, that's, that's part of a larger discussion Ooh. that, that if we didn't, if we weren't 10 minutes from 10 to 15 minutes from being over, I think I'd be, I think I'd be down to have, but, um, the, well, I just say actually, that. I guess well, I'll save us some I'll time. Say, okay, go ahead. Well, I'll say Anthony and I have had a very spirited discussion about that yeah. recently. And Justin, I just and had a, was, like a six-hour like talk three, about this. It's like at least three hours. Yeah. Was it three um, hours? Yeah. Well, my question yeah, like is, is mainly just because if you're going to to do that, what keeps you? What would keep you an Adventist? Why would you want but, to be a part of an organization that is proselytizing sort of this, a false gospel and a false Christ around the world that's sending millions of people to hell? Um, it's not Christian. It claims oh, see, to be Christian. I, this it, it is where claims, I disagree with you. Well, so, so then there's something there then about the distinctive or uniqueness of Adventism that would keep you in the movement. Um, and I'm curious what exactly that would, would be. Because if you're going to throw her out, then hmm. the investigative judgment's going to go out. That's not biblical. The health message is going to go out. It flies in the face of Jesus's words, Paul's words. Um, the... Revelation, the interpretation of Revelation 14 is going to throw out, you're not the remnant church anymore because Ellen White's the mark of the true remnant church. The mark of the beast being Sunday is now thrown out. So why would you remain in the Adventist church now? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would if I hadn't grown up into it, grown up in it for a certain, to a certain degree, but it's sort of like family. I think that ultimately at a certain point you, you recognize, I don't agree with everything my family believes, but there's something to fight for here. And same thing. I mean, like, why, why am I an American citizen? It's like, or why do I consider my, myself an American? I don't believe with, I don't believe a lot of what's said. I don't believe a lot of like what either American side policies. says about, well, either policies from the government or, uh, or what people will claim being an American is. I think that's sort of the struggle. I'm not, what I'm not arguing for is just like loose, loose definitions. Nothing ever means anything. I'm not really arguing for that, but I am arguing that there is room for some tension and argument within that. And that's, I think that's okay. And so, um, there is a, but bro, Christians do that same thing. I have friends that are Baptists. Um, I'm a Presbyterian. We do that same thing, but we're not, uh, we're not part of a movement that's proselytizing a bunch of doctrine that we fundamentally disagree with just for the sake of like, well, I like it here. So it doesn't matter that they're exporting the great controversy all over the world, trying to give out a <laughs> yeah. billion it's copies book this of the year. year. Yeah, et cetera. Yep. So uh, not to but, keep but, like, but also, like but also, you on that. But, but no, 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 I'm, I'm down to have this discussion because I think w- the way that you're defining 
what an Adventist is, is, is attaching it directly to what the governing body says that it is. And I agree with you that like, I struggle with that tension too, because what is Adventism if it's not what is agreed upon at those levels? But at the same time, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of people within Adventism who have varying ideas on those same beliefs and we're all still part of this body. I mean, if you think about it, like the Catholic Church, and I mean that like the what what we describe as the Catholic Church, not necessarily the Roman Catholic Church. The Catholic yeah, Church universal. starts, yeah, and yeah, and acts and and goes pretty much until well until the Orthodox split. But even in that, there's like there's varying levels of belief. There's varying ideas of who God is, and then there's the there's the her- heretical um, um, controversies and the and the fights about what that means and what what those words mean, how we're going to interpret them, all of that stuff, and. Ultimately, those come to some doctrinal, like it comes to some sort of like cohesion, and then we, we move on from there. But still, like as a Catholic Church, did everybody believe the same things about Jesus, about uh, the place of the law, all of that stuff? No, and we even see that in the early Church Fathers. There's a wide array of beliefs, and I think, you think that, that that's you, you think the Church Fathers weren't united around uh, the the Christology. No, no. My point is, is that that there is a wide variety of beliefs on a lot of different things, and even I mean, yeah, you could you could say that some of the early church fathers didn't believe the same way about Jesus that we believe today. And I'm not saying that that's what we should believe. I'm not saying we should follow them. I'm just saying that there is that has always been the tension of following Jesus is that we're always going to have these spaces where we're not quite on the same page about everything, but is there some level of we're fighting for something here? We are fighting for something. And I think that's what, when I look at Adventism, that's why I'm here. I'm not here because, oh, I just love it here. It's more comfortable. I've tried to leave. I've really tried to leave. Um, I was actively on my way out several times and God pulls me back into these spaces. I'm not saying because Adventism is the one true church. God pulls me back into these spaces because he has a work for me to do where, where I am, right? What that is, is a nuanced thing for me to live out, but it is, it is the thing that I have found. And so that's where, like, I, I think I, that's my point of disagreement with you. I agree with you on exactly all of that stuff about the trickle-down effect, all that stuff, but I disagree at the point at which it, we say, well, we just have to leave something because we disagree Um on it. If there's room, I think this is the key thing for me. If there's room within this organization for me to struggle t- towards the same goal, this is why we call this this podcast Seeking What They Sought, towards the same goal the founders have, which is to be as faithful to scripture as possible. You can argue whether they, may, they, they did it or not, but that's what they wanted to do. And that's my goal too. And if I happen to disagree with them on some points, I don't think that that is necessarily like, okay, I should just leave. However, if it comes to the point where there is no room for me in this organization to have a space to say, hey, I, I think that I disagree and let's try and move towards um, towards continue to have an open heart about about some of this stuff, then I think it'd be like, yeah, no, I can't. There isn't a space to fit in here. There is no point to staying. So that's, yeah, that's and, my thoughts. And that goes, Miles, really quick with the, the, the quote that Seeking What They Sought came from was a Japanese proverb that said, don't follow in the footsteps of the wise, seek what they sought. And... So again, that's just jumping off of, again, what Jesse said is, is the, the passion or the, the spirit, what we all agree with, even though I would say that I disagree or vary um, in different areas with, with uh, Jesse and Anthony, um, we all agree that the, 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 when we reflect and study the history of the Adventist church, we agree that the spirit was present there in the formation of that, that union between different denominations that that birthed the Adventist church. And, um, I think that's the spirit behind what we're, what we're talking about. So that's, again, I just, I know miles, you want to respond to what Jesse just said, but 
just to add to what he said. Yeah. I mean, obviously I could say like a ton and so I don't want to be like sure, really, sure. really verbose. No, and it, but I, I guess one thing I'd say though, is that um, there's a lot there that I would say, like, I think I would agree with on paper, um, but not upon examination. Um, okay. So like saying that it's, eh, there's some things I disagree with, man, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about who is Jesus. We're talking about the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. This isn't a matter of being... So I was a Baptist for seven or eight years. Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and Lutherans and et cetera do not consider themselves like the other person to not be Christians. We disagree on like tertiary matters. What unites all of the Christian world is the foundational cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, which go back to the apostles. So the gospel, for example, was given by Jesus Christ to the apostles and has been handed down to us today. So it's not just like, oh, well... You know, I've had people who I, I know people who are part of because they're only reformed church in their area is reformed Baptist, but they're actually a Presbyterian. Um, so they don't affirm infant baptism um, because they have to go to this Baptist church, but they do affirm infant baptism as a Presbyterian. Well, OK, that's not a uh, that's not something that is um, like a cardinal, a cardinal doctrine. The gospel in Jesus is a cardinal doctrine. So it's not just a matter of like. Uh, yeah. well, we disagree on like instruments in worship or something like that. Um, <laughs> so that I guess would be my only pushback on that is that it's like, it's like the foundational core things, but then too, to like it being started as well. I think they were since, I think a lot of them were sincere. I've read quite a bit of the pioneers. Um, and, and I think they were sincere people, but people can be sincerely wrong. Hindus are sincere. True. Muslims True. are sincere. True. And yeah. the, the church was around long before seventh Adventism. The Christian yeah, church is is, is, is is ancient. And so there was a message that's been handed down by them to us today, and it didn't need restored. It didn't get lost. It didn't get completely, uh, there, it became clouded, if you will. That's what a reformation is. It's trying to clean up um, what is presently there versus a restoration, which is a revival of something that's gone. And mm. so the Seventh-day Adventist movement was started by Christological heretics, they were Arians and semi-Arian heretics. That, that in and of itself. That, that, that in and of sorry, itself. Just, go ahead. Just to clarify that the the early Adventist pioneers did not believe in the Trinity for a few decades, and then or, Ellen White comes around to being pretty. Or the true deity of Christ. That's what I mean. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, yes. I guess those are I think two kind of a, distinct that's a things. Whole, but yeah, yeah, but, and that's but, a whole. I would say I don't, I don't fully agree with that, Miles. But, but I also think that's a separate discussion where we, where we look at the the early pioneers and what they actually and, believe. I, I think there would say, well, and I would say along okay. with that is, is to say that just that the, the state of belief of the church today, if you want to, if you want, if you're claiming off of the organization today is that we believe in the full divinity of the Trinity and, and believe in the Trinity as coexistent, eternally equal, all of that. Right. So it's, I mean, like, well, that, even if there was a the way, difference in how it got there, that's not the way, this, like, that's not the way the SDA scholars define it. That's not the way it says on the Adventist website. You can go to Adventist.org slash Trinity. Um, the general conference reached out to me, by the way, um, back, back in, well, uh, elite, uh, elite, no, you made it. <laughs> a, a, a liaison from the general conference, um, mm-hmm. reached out to me. We had a discussion about this. He assured me that the website was going to be updated because it was in his words, a slip of the keystroke. He said, no, 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 no. Which part? The very opening sentence. Seventh-day Adventist Christians affirm that God is 
it, we are, are from one God and this God there is, is, there it, is one God. Yeah. And that this God is three beings. That's not orthodox. Three, a unity, a unity of three co-eternal persons is what it says. Yeah, uh, it in the opening sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says there is one there God, is one Father, God, Son, Father, and Holy yeah. Spirit, a unity of three co-eternal persons. Now it says Seventh-day Adventist Christians believe there's one God and that this one God is three co-eternal beings who work together in unity. Oh, no, the see okay, so that's the that's the introduction statement. The actual yeah. belief as stated is No, no, right, right. There is one God. Yeah. Yeah, but it says in the opening line there, the Seventh Seventh-day Adventist Christians believe there's one God and that this one God is three co-eternal beings. Well, he tried to assure me in this email, we believe in three persons. I said, "I know that, sir. That's not my contention. How many beings are there?" He didn't want to go there because he knows what Ellen White said, that it's three oh. beings. Oh, so it's three beings, three persons. Orthodox Christian Trinitarianism, biblical Trinitarianism is three beings, one, per, or uh, sorry, three persons, one being. Well, he said they were going to update the website to say three co-eternal persons and just take so, the being aspect but off. Just, but just to be clear, like, just to be clear, there is a movement within Adventism amongst like small movements that's trying to be anti-Trinitarian for sure. Jesus isn't, isn't. But yeah. in practice, whether you want to like specifically get into that one specific word or not, Adventists believe what other Christians believe on the Trinity. And that's yep. been consistent for a long time. But here's the, here's the thing, man, is like, you may, you may be looking at that and nitpicking on that one word, but I, I mean, I don't know anybody who believes anything different. I, like if I'm walking into a, uh, a conference with other pastors, like we all believe the same thing on the Trinity. Like that's, that's just, that's what it is. I mean, I, again, if you want to nitpick on the, on the specific wording, fine. But by, but what is meant by it is. St. Saint Ignatius and Athanasius and the early church fathers were willing to die over these words. Yes, no, for sure. But that's because there is a specific sort of like, at that point, this becomes, you have to be so clear about specifics and, and where the, the lines are and where they aren't. And we're coming to today where that whole idea is prevalent within Christianity and is believed across the board. So this is where it's like, I agree with you, man, like about a lot of this stuff, but some of the stuff that you're nitpicking, uh, uh, sorry, that I don't mean that in the, in, I don't, I shouldn't have said that. Some of the stuff that you were pointing out is maybe in word, not as clear as you would prefer, but in practice is exactly what all these, all of us Adventist pastors believe. What if I were to uh, send you, we don't have to do it right now because it would it would take quite some time. I'm actually going to be doing a, a series on this, breaking it down. I can show you papers from Merlin Burt. I can show you papers from Jerry Moon. I can show you papers from Georgia Knight. I can show you video and evidence from Judd Lake, professor at Southern. And I can assure you, Seventh-day Adventist Church does not teach the uh, Orthodox Trinitarianism. And they're open and okay. vocal about this. They'll, they'll, I have a paper from Jerry Moon, if you want me to read it, where he says, we don't agree with Nicene Orthodox Trinitarianism because we think that it's arrogant to try and speak about the ontos of God. Ellen White instead focused on the relational oneness and says that essentially what makes the the Adventist heavenly trio um, one is the fact that unlike the Pantheon, this is his example, unlike the Pantheon, who's a bunch of different gods because they're all divided fighting for who's going to be superior. The heavenly trio is united in their mission, purpose, and character, and there's none of that infighting. So because that's the case, they're one God. But it's think, actually think, three persons, three beings, three separate individual, and they define persons as um, tangible, literal forms, meaning they have physical look. They look like us. There's three of those. 
that's not I don't, think that that's, I don't know if that's exactly what it means, but I that that's again where it's like getting into the weeds of that is like okay, I mean sure you can interpret what they're saying in those ways, sure, but the the what I find interesting is that at its core, Adventism, like if you want to take like top level beliefs on Scripture, Trinity, all that stuff, we're we're the same as other Christians. The the where it gets where it gets broken down for me at least is that when you get into the uh the adventist distinctives that's where it starts to get a little bit cloudy and it starts to get outside of some of the ideas of the gospel that i see at least or at least in how it's talked about um from the official standpoint but when we go into like the gospel and stuff this is where again i disagree with you it's like they're the adventist pastors that i that i'm around like we're we all believe in the gospel. We believe in the gospel, maybe slightly differently in some ways than you would say. Because, for instance, I don't think I don't believe in it. I don't believe in a literal hell where you exist forever. Um, and some Hell's of those not things. Part so of the gospel. Okay, fair. A lot of people would say that. Uh, a lot of people define the gospel and include hell in there. But um, I care the, about uh, how Paul defined it. Fair. Um, so, but um, what my point is that there's might be some nuances how we talk about some of those things. Um, you get into atonement theories and some like that, some, some of that stuff, maybe there's some differences in opinion on which ones are primary or which ones, um, should be focused on. But the, the, uh, the, the overall idea of the gospel is that Jesus has saved us, that God is, that God, uh, sent his son himself, uh, to this earth to die for us so that we might be uh, reunited, reconciled with him, ultimately reunited someday. I'm skipping over tons of parts of the gospel, but the, that basic over overview is the, is the gospel that we believe in. And so it's, it's just kind of interesting because it's like some of the stuff that you're getting into, it's like, I'm, that's not even, that's not even ha- like happening in a lot of Adventism. Um, but then a lot of what you're saying is the overlaying, overlying idea of, of what a lot of people see as Adventism. So that's sort of an interesting thing, man. Like I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm torn because I, I agree with you on a lot of it. And then some of it, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I see it the same way. The question, and the question, Miles, is because I think your critiques are super fair. Um, because the question is, and this is really why we, we wanted to have this conversation, because we've really been wrestling with the ideas of like, what is Adventism and who gets to decide that? And you're taking verbatim statements from official statements, from Adventist scholars, from you know, Adventist.org, 28 Fundamentals, and you're saying, this is Adventism because this is what you wrote, the organization wrote down. And to me, that feels really fair. So to me... I feel as if, yeah, I, the critiques are, are really fair. I think my only pushback is something Jesse said in the very beginning, which is, I think there's a case to be made for a group of Adventists through all of the history of the church, you know, and, you know, a big example of that is Jones and Wagner in 1888, who were advocating for the gospel in the Adventist church and have been suppressed throughout history in that. The, there are many of us who see ourselves in line with not everything Jones and Wagner believed post-1888 because they got a little wacky <laughs> afterwards. But um, there's a lot of us who who we remain in the Adventist church because we see ourselves in line with, we have a heart for Adventists to know the gospel and for us to kind of 
break past a lot of the other things that have obscured the gospel over time. And our heart really, and I mean, I'll speak for myself, my heart, why I'm still an Adventist pastor, why I'm an Adventist, because I just have a heart for Adventists to know the gospel. And that's, that's why I stay. And um, so, yeah, that's really my only pushback is I think I see throughout history, I think all of your critiques are fair. I just see throughout history, a tradition of Adventists who were grounded in the gospel and pushed back against um, a lot of, uh, you know, some of the things that you brought up. <clears throat> yeah. Um, again, I mean, there's like a lot that kind of goes yeah, through my mind. Th- there's so there. much. Um, I, I, we <laughs> One need thing four to, hours. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> One thing to Jesse that I'd say is, yeah. man, I, I know that you're saying that the problem is definitions, which is why I'm trying to go to these deeper sources because Arius said the same thing. Sibelius said the same thing. Uh, the monastic, like they all said this, all the heretics down through the ages have said the same thing. We believe in Jesus. Mormons believe in Jesus. Mormons believe in a Trinity. Mormons believe in the gospel. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in the gospel. Christian science believes in the gospel. The problem is the definitions and how we get into defining those things. Um, my question and back. I, and I agree with you. I just say, I, my, I'm just saying that like Adventists believe a lot more like similarly if you were to ask Adventists who are who who are actually educated about what Adventists believe, or any seminary professor, yeah, like what you're going to get is a, a a really similar view to what other Adventist or other Christians believe, um, with some minor nuances that you'll even experience across denominations outside of Adventism versus you know Presbyterianism. But I've done Presbyterians and Baptists and all that stuff. I, I've yeah. done it though. I'm telling you, I, I'm hoping to do a piece of content with him. Um, I haven't firmed this up, so it may end up not not happening. Yeah. But I, I've done that. <laughs> I've done that with with the professors, and and this kind of Adventism now turns into the infinite pin the tail on the donkey. You can never mm. pin the tail because it's just mm-hmm. an infinite like. Well, no, no, no. Just what do you look mean at by the that? Comment. What do you mean by that? Like, well, so if it's not the official, like a who organ, said it? If it's not the official organ of the institution it. that defines it. then it's just a big malaise of whoever. And this is exactly what I say. And this is part of the critique on my channel. You'll hear me say this over and over and over. You tell me the doctrine, I'll find you 10 Adventists that give you 10 different definitions. And then then we'll hear stuff and then we'll hear stuff like, well, that's how all of the other Christian world is. And I'm telling you, brothers, that's, that's not how it is. We are united on our Christology. We are united on the gospel. There's not like, oh, well, you know, this is kind of part of it. And like, no, 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 We're united on this because what's ultimately uh, encapsulated in the gospel is found in the Apostles' Creed. Um, that's the accurate full summation of, and I know that it says in the Apostles' Creed that Christ descended into hell. Um, that's not necessarily what you were saying earlier, though, about like how long that, that length of time for the wicked is and that sort of stuff, the state of the dead. Um but it, it definitions matter. Definitions really, really do matter. And so when I do have discussions with Adventists, and if you look in the comment sections of my videos even, um, and I'm talking from pastors, professors, laity, my dad, it doesn't matter who it is across the spectrum, California, Pacific Northwest, Midwest, South, uh, international, out of the country, Jamaica, um, you get something of, of a vast difference depending on who you talk to. Yet we're mm-hmm. supposed to believe foundationally that there's no division within Adventism. That's a hallmark sign of Babylon. That's supposed Whoa, to be the no. apostate. That's okay, supposed to be the up. apostate Protestants. <laughs> no, no, hold on. So I don't know who's telling you there's no division in Adventism. There's a there's a massive division. Ellen White for a long time. Ellen White. Ted Wilson. Yeah, but 
No, no, I, yeah, okay. Isaac, Ola, sure. and, oh, Isaac Olatunji. Oh, oh, yeah, that, those. Yeah, Doug, that Doug doesn't Badgley. surprise me. I think this gets back. I think this get. No, they all know there's division. Well, then you they, need they to. They might then be you, talking about it like there isn't, but they all know that there's division. Well, then you're confirming why I make videos the way that I do, and that Doug needs to stop lying, and he needs to stop putting out the public image out there that and and attacking the true body of Christ, being an accuser of the brethren, the true body of Christ, saying that they're apostate, that their prayers are an abomination to God, that they're actually going up to the holy place where Satan's standing next to the throne, figuratively speaking, and he's able to breathe an unholy spirit on those people, deceiving them, keeping them in a deception because they've rejected the investigative judgment. This is a Sean, a, a Sean you better be emailing here. Doug after this. <laughs> if you can, if you have his contact information, I would love to have a discussion with him. Well, I mean, yeah. Oh, Actually, man. Sean, yeah. Sean, you, well, Sean well, you just reached well, out. <laughs> really, really. I feel. Well, well Miles, you, I don't know if you know, we had a discussion with him. Did we tell you that? Like he yeah, was on the podcast? Yeah. yeah. So, but he, yeah, I would love, like we already, That'd be incredible. Oh, we don't have time for this. I, I wanted to mention, like we would love to have this, you know, just to mention like Jubilee style, you know, you know, the YouTube channel that does like. Like Common uh, Ground and stuff. Conserve, yeah, Common Ground and stuff like that. Just, yeah. just to like have conversations obviously obviously in hopefully good faith that we're we're being loving but also able to debate in a in a reasonable way that's that's a whole digression but well um, so no i i'll say this miles i i i appreciate like your willingness to be direct about you know all of this i i still like where i land and and i'll say that in in the sense that i'm different than jesse and anthony i i tend to agree with you that adventism is a sweater that you start to unravel when you get rid of a lot of the things that you mentioned um, but I also agree with with uh, Jesse when he mentioned that I I do think um, that some of the heart and and the heart of Adventism I think can still reconcile with um, with you with with other denominations within Protestantism. I I tend to agree that that we can still reconcile and be part of that. I also, but but going back again to what you said, I I am part of the system of Adventist belief that the narrative of the Great Controversy. Um, the the way that Ellen White paints the character of God and and also the the Adventist pioneers that it is a specific way of viewing the character of God um, that is that is unique to Adventism and part of why I'm an Adventist. So in that sense, I'm I'm again just speaking for myself uh, that 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 is why I'm an Adventist because of the way that it um, paints the narrative of Scripture, uh, the way that it that it looks at. And, and in my opinion, clarifies the, the narrative of scripture, why it all comes together through the investigative judgment, through the, the sanctuary doctrine. Um, yeah. And, and again, we could, we could talk forever, Miles. I, I appreciate what you've, what you've said, because there are, like Jesse said, there are a lot of pieces there. Like you said, I'm not going to call out specific names like you did, but I think that in practice, Do it, there Sean. are. Do it. No, I, Look, in practice, there are so many ways that we do PR for the church that just creates confusion. The irony of the idea of Babylon, you know, like we're yeah. like the way that we, the way no, that we talk about our beliefs, it does create confusion, and there is division. Because That's a reality. because Babel because Babel means confusion. Just in case anyone is wondering. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. so look, I I get it. I get that um, that that has happened. And so part of that's part of the reason we're having this discussion with you and why we're having a series on what is an Adventist. We wouldn't be doing that if we fundamentally didn't agree that there was confusion, right? We wouldn't have to have a series on what is an Adventist if, if we all were uni- united in it. 
Um, but the point is, we're going to have we're going to talk to multiple people. And we already have from different leaders, professors, uh, influential you know authors or whoever in the church. And there's going to be disagreements on what is an Adventist. And just like you have, you grew up in the church and and you have um, the way that you described Adventism. Some Adventists would agree with you, others would disagree on on that definition. So. But I, I also I, I yeah. also agree with you, Miles, that like the whole pin the tail on the ever expanding donkey that you can never really pin the tail on because it keeps moving. Like I I get it. Like that's part of the struggle that I think we run into just in this world in general is like we're we're all going to have some shifting definitions of even the same thing. Like I mean, I guess you could argue like okay, well if we put all of our stuff on our own paper and we have the you know. We, we all agree on this wording. We all agree on this stuff. Sure. But even in like the nuances of that, we might disagree. And I think that's, that's sort of the, the weird space that I find myself in because for instance, if I were to leave Adventism, one of the things that I think is, is a fairly big piece of my own reading of scripture is uh, the, the doctrine around like the, the state of the dead, or at least like ever eternal, you know, burning fire, or even the immortality of the soul. Um, when I look back in the, in the Hebrew idea of what a soul was and all that stuff, it's just like, you know, it meant body and body and soul or body and spirit combined. It didn't necessarily mean two separate things. Um, and, you know, we could all argue about that as much as we wanted, but that's when I look at that, I'm like, man, there is, there's something about that, that I would always feel not at home in other denominations. And I've tried, like I said, I've tried and, you know, it's like, Hey, I'd love to work for your church, but also I don't believe in the idea of eternal burning hell. Um, is that a problem? <laughs> it's like, I mean, is there going to ever be a space that I fully line up with? Um, I don't know. Like that's a, that's a weird thing. And so when I come to that conclusion, I look back at Adventism, I'm like, well, there is, and it's not like I just, Oh, well, I guess I can't go anywhere else. I did try, but, um, but when I when I look at Adventism, I'm like okay, it's the same thing here as it would be anywhere else, in to to the degree that if there's room to say what Anthony said, like I want to teach other people, I want to teach Adventists what the gospel is, so that um, people can experience the beauty of of what God has done for them. Man, like let's do it, you know. If it gets shut down, yeah, I let's leave. Like there's there's no reason to do that in a space where you can't. So that's kind of like that's where I find myself too in all of that. But Christians yeah. are not divided on the cardinal doctrines. That's the key. Whether there are people, so for example, at my church. But, but let me let me just say this: when I, the Apostles' Creed, we believe we believe everything that's in there. The only place that I you might believe, even say you believe in communion, going down into hell. You believe What's in that? communion of the saints. What do you mean? Well, the, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in one holy Catholic Church. Yeah. The communion of saints. The forgiveness yeah. of sins, the life everlasting. That's the final, the final paragraph. You, yeah, you, I mean, you say you, you, you would say the Adventist Church upholds communion of the saints. That's to be fair. I would say that a lot of a lot of conservative Adventist pastors, as you would as you would say, the ones the ones who are the real Adventists, not the Adventist light, believe that or don't believe that. Um, but I think that there is a well, you you much... don't either though, because you said you don't believe that the soul is a distinct aspect from the body, so you can't possibly believe that there's saints in heaven right now. I don't, but I or... believe that I believe that the Holy Spirit inhabits the church. The church is not defined to a specific organization or entity. Yeah, and that, that that's that's part of it. Yeah, but it's also that the the believers who have come before us are with the Lord currently, and on the Lord's day when we worship, we are united with them as well. But you couldn't say that if you affirm 
Adventist. No, teaching. that's fair. I couldn't say that. But at the same time, there's an even move. There's movements outside of Adventism that also believe in annihilationism. So it's like, I mean, if you're going to argue that that that's a core doctrine, whether people are alive forever or or annihilationism, I mean, like that's even a space where there's there's room in within Christianity for differing views. There's differing views on even what hell is, and so it's like, I mean, you could you could say it's eternal burning fire. You could say it's just this place place of bleak existence. You could say that it's uh, it's it's annihilationism. You could say universalism, though universalism I think is definitely stretching it the most. But like. The like, there's room within the context of Christianity for these discussions, not to the degree that like, oh, we just believe whatever the heck we want to believe. But there's also room in this space for some of the that that discussion and that that contention, because we're all reading the same scripture, but we're all trying to figure out what does this thing mean. And so I think that's sort of where maybe I I stray away from the sense of black and whiteness that I think that I feel from you. And I, again, I don't mean that as a as a as a slight, I, I, I think that's what I feel. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, that's you're, where I stray away from that slightly. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, the gospel and Christology are black and white. Um, if somebody's off on those things, they are a heretic. They're not a Christian. Um, and they need to repent of that. They need to come to know the true gospel and the true Christ. Um, and that will be the message that, um, I will stand on the shoulders of plenty of giants that came long before me. Um, and, and I agree with you that, the way that we're necessarily defining all the finer details, that's not even really the point that I'm getting at. You don't even have to define the finer details of what's stated in the Apostles' Creed. Um, for example, Rome would point to the Reformed tradition and say, well, you guys don't affirm the Holy Apostolic Church um, because you guys don't go back to that. Um, but the difference is, is that all of us are affirming fundamentally there is one Holy Catholic Church. Now, yes, there is argument around the definitions, but we're all agreeing on what is stated there. The Adventist church with its system of theology cannot possibly claim that Jesus descended into hell because the Adventist Jesus was only a man while he was on earth. And Ellen White taught that when he was dead in the tomb, he was dead. He wasn't active for three days. He was just a man. And they essentially affirm the canonic heresy, which um, I'm doing a video on in this series that you said you saw the previous video from. Um, so there's no way that you could say that he descended into hell to preach the gospel to the souls, essentially, um, that were held captive until the atonement was essentially completed. Um, you know, we can argue on obviously the, the length of hell, but all Christians are essentially affirming there is a hell. And then Jesus went there, um, and that's what the Apostles' Creed is getting at. So it's not necessarily like, oh man, if you don't affirm the same atonement theory that I believe, you're a heretic. Well, no, I don't say that people that don't affirm penal substitutionary atonement are heretics. I, I know lots of people that affirm ransom theory, uh, Christus Victor model, um, all sorts of stuff. That's not the point. Um, the point is, is that when you get at what is actually being said, and this is for all the points, atonement, um, again, like Herbert Douglas said in the great controversy theme, it informs and defines all of these things. So when you get into the finer details, I know that we're saying the same words, but we're not talking about fundamentally the same thing. So that would essentially be my concern. Hmm. That's super interesting. I, I would love to have more conversation about that because I don't, I know on some things we're saying different things, but I, I think that it might be useful. Um, it would be, it would be an interesting thing to talk about what you mean by like these really specific doctrinal elements that can't be pushed aside because I think you can't claim when, that Jesus was just a man here. I'll, I'll actually just I'll, but, real but quick. That's the th sorry to interrupt that's just you. The, that's the thing though, man, is like we don't. Uh, and I mean, you could say, okay, Ellen White said that, whatever, but let's just say right now, 
Like that's not what we believe. We don't believe Jesus Christ was just a man here. What on if Earth. I show you? What if I show you the Adventist Church's official teachings? Go for it. Okay, I'll read it to you. This is from, and I'm like I said, I'm working on a video. This is under the the fundamental belief of Christ. When you click into it, it takes you to a page that talks about life, death, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the the hyperlink. Adventist.org slash life dash death dash and dash resurrection dash of dash Christ slash. You scroll down to the heading that says Jesus, the son of God is born a human on earth. Jesus came to experience life as we do as 100% human out of his love for every single one of us. He chose to be stripped of his glory and then inserts the Philippians two, six through eight, the classic canonic heresy interpretation and was given no advantage over us when it came to living a life without sinning. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14, but this made him no less divine. Jesus was still 100% God. Okay, and then it says in this next paragraph even, and it bolds the text. The concept, or this concept, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% human can be mind-boggling, but this was necessary in God's plan to deliver us from the grip of sin while the great controversy rages on, meaning both good and evil surround us daily, warring against one another. You say, see, the Adventist church teaches the hypostatic union. Christ is 100% man, 100% God. You have to peel back the layers because then they continue. So Jesus, as part of the Godhead, had to live a perfect life. Then his innocent blood could cover our sins and make it possible for us to inherit eternal life. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says that even though Jesus is God, he set his divine nature aside and took on a human nature. That is the canonic heresy. That on earth, Jesus, and again, this is coming downstream from the great controversy. That's what Ellen was saying, that Satan rejoiced when man fell because then he was able to pull Jesus down from his exalted position to be made equal with the father and come live on earth with a fallen sinful nature. And thus so, he did so and he lived even, perfectly and overcame even, that and demonstrated I mean, that, that we can whole do idea, That whole idea of did he have the, the nature of Adam pre-fall, post-fall. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a valid discussion that I have an opinion on. But like those are valid discussions because people are trying to figure out like what nature did Jesus have when he was here on earth? And if you want to say that he only had a human nature, that's what we're saying. I don't think that's that's even what is fully being stated like theologically in that statement. You could read it that way, but I don't think that's, they that's give, fully what's they being They give stated. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, and they give the canonic definition of that. Do you have the SDA Bible commentary? I don't have it on me. I think I have it somewhere. Well, no, no. no. Like, do, you, do you have it? I challenge you. Look up. Look up this verse in there. Actually, I don't even know if I have it. Okay. What if I definitely if I, had it at one point, but I don't know if I have it right now. What about if I read you an article from the Adventist Theological Society? Does that add to the um, the question? The question, Miles, is: Do you think that perhaps you may be elevating the Philippians two six statement over the statement a paragraph above when it said Jesus is one hundred percent God and one hundred percent human? Yeah, I think it's classic doublespeak. I think the SDA church does this a lot. I think that they have to mm. state things because they don't want to get heat and they don't want to get flack. And so they're going to state certain things. But then just like Ellen White did, they'll immediately contradict themselves in the next paragraph because they still have to work in Ellen's theology. I see. So that's, so that's you, fair. I see that's what, what you're saying. That's, that's what that's Ellen fair. taught. Ellen taught. And mm-hmm. I know I've heard Stephen Bohr. I've heard all the, the Adventist big name pastors that teach on the hypostatic, that teach on the hypostatic union. Mm-hmm. And when you listen to it, they say the thing that's orthodox because they know they have to, because the messaging is, no, we're just like Protestants. We're just like all other Christians. We just have you know, our unique distinctives amongst the denominations too. But then mm. when you listen to it, you start to get the details that Ellen White claimed to wrap the Bible in with her testimonies. 
And so in this paper from the Adventist Theological Society, sure, it's it's a little old, but it's still in their archive. And Do we know what year? 1998. 98, okay. And it says... In the person of Jesus Christ, he sacrificed his omnipresence to become one of his creation. He sacrificed his omniscience to find his mission by faith as we must. He sacrificed his omnipotence to lead his rebel creation or to let his rebel creation pound nails through his hands. So while Jesus so, was on earth, he 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 sheathed himself and gave up divine attributes, which means he wasn't divine so, on earth. You can't give so, up divine attributes and still well, re- no, re- retain I mean, being God. That, that feels that feels fairly limited to say. But Colossians 2.9, Colossians 1. He's the fullness me, of the no, Godhead bodily. The fullness of the Godhead is all of the dura- yeah. divine prerogatives. You can't have, and again, so this is what I'm saying about so, the, so the was, way you define Jesus the, the everywhere. You, I'm just curious, like, no, I'm just genuinely curious. So Jesus was everywhere all at once yes. while he was human yes. on earth. Yes, because he's fully God and fully man. So this gets into what's called the communicato idiomatum, which is essentially just the communication of the attributes. That's the fancy way that theologians have have labeled the fact that scripture ascribes both divine and human attributes to the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I am thirsty. That's a human attribute. But he also forgave sins. He was worshiped. These are divine attributes. So we see both divine and human attribution to the person of Christ while he's on earth. So yes, Jesus Christ was omnipresent while he was on the earth how do you in, interpret, his divine, in his divine nature. How do you interpret Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 then? Why, he, had to be, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Yeah. How, so is that, he, how do you interpret that? This is the that? same thing that's being said in, in Philippians 2. Yeah, I yeah, wanted he, to know he, he how, was, how, he, how you interpreted Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is, well, I'm going to interpret it the same way that um, the church fathers did down through the centuries up through to the reformers. There's been a consistent messaging. The canonic interpretation came about by a German theologian in the 1800s or 1900s rather. Um, But no, it's simply talking about the fact that Jesus uh, veiled a level of his glory. So when he was walking down the street, he wasn't, people weren't just falling over dead. Right. So that was veiled, but he left his humble abode because Paul is quoting that as an example for us and what we're supposed to do. He's talking about humility, that essentially the Lord of glory took upon himself a human nature mm-hmm. and made himself Galatians 4, 4, a little while or Hebrews 1, a little while, a little while lower than the angels and Galatians mm-hmm. 4, 4, he humbled himself underneath the law. It's not saying that he sheathed himself of his divinity to put on humanity Rather, he added a human nature to his divine nature, and he lived a life amongst us as the God-man. So the the question again, and I think that this really hits at everything we've been talking about, which is that pin the tail on the donkey thing that happens in Adventism, because everything you just said, almost verbatim, is what I was taught in my Doctrine of the Trinity class here at Andrews University Theological Seminary. Dr. Denny Fortine taught that class. And that's essentially everything that you just said is what we were taught. We were not taught that we were not taught, you know, that kind of what you're, you're saying is sort of the being veiled that there was that Jesus set aside all of his divinity, but we were taught in like Orthodox hypostatic union is essentially what we were taught. So the question is, and I don't think you're wrong to see veiled behind a lot of the language of the institution Ellen White's writings and her theology, essentially, you know, the great yeah, controversy, hermeneutic. Sure. Like, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I def, I see that as well. Exactly what you see. Um, uh, 
but yeah, I, I'm I'm interested in that disconnect and that pin the tail on the donkey thing that's happening because essentially what you've asserted, like this is Adventism. There are so many Adventists today, including I think at least at least me again. I'll speak for myself, who would say, ah, I don't I don't really accept that Adventism as my own. Um, I've come to inter you know see differently, use different language, you know see an expanding understanding what Ellen White calls present truth. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like a lot of the type of Adventism that you, you reject. I feel like I, I resonate with you deeply and I also reject. <laughs> so I, I feel a kinship in, in what you're saying because of that. And yet I'm an Adventist. So I, I think, well, yeah, but it, it's just funny because what you say you reject, I think is defined as Adventism, right? That, Which is <laughs> the, the official organ. If that's not who defines it, well, that just sounds like a mess. What's the, what is, then what is the core doctrines of Adventism? Well, if it's not what the official organ has put forth and it's just up to every Tom, Dick and Harry to just come to the table and say, well, I think it's this. Well, I think it's this. That sounds like a confused mess. That sounds like Babylon. That doesn't sound like, you, you know, that's the Christian, fair, fair. again, again, the <laughs> Christian fair. church is united. Like, and I don't mean this to knock Jesse, you saying yeah. that you tried like other churches and stuff like that, but yeah. I'm very involved in the local church. I've been to non-denominational churches. I've been to Baptist churches. I've been in Presbyterian churches. Um, and, and I can tell you, there's not uh, riffs and movements of anti-Trinitarian heretics that are embraced. They're not people that are confused on the gospel. I'm telling you, you could walk into my church and you could ask any person there, including the children, what is the gospel? And you're going to get the same message. That's awesome. It's, no, it's I, not I'm, saying that yeah. every single fine little, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ultimate message. Hey kid, how are you reconciled to God? Paul tells us, and they're going to start quoting to you uh, more than likely the catechism because the catechism is based off of scripture. They're going to start telling you what they, they're getting catechized with. And it's a consistent theme and a consistent message. It's not unique to the Presbyterian church. It's not even unique to the Reformed tradition. We affirm what Augustine called the regula fidei, that there is a foundational constant thread all the way through the apostles to the present day. We've all mm -hmm. affirmed the same thing. There's yeah. not confusion about it. And I know I was saying big words earlier, and oftentimes people will balk and scoff and roll their eyes and say, oh, that who understands? You think the average Christian understands that? Yes, I do. I do because I've seen it and I've talked with them. I know mm. Christians who are teaching these things to their kids because Christians have been catechizing their, their children in the gospel and who God is for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This mm -hmm. is the foundational core that has been hammered out for a long time. So I'm not denying to you that there are definitely differences amongst, that's why there's different buildings and denominations, because say our liturgy is impacted. Baptist liturgy is different than Presbyterian liturgy, but that's not the gospel. That's not a gospel issue. Liturgy is not a, a dividing line in the sense of you have a false gospel and a false God. The two things that the Bible says, if you're wrong on, neither of those things can save you. Hmm. It's fair. I, I see what you're saying, man. And I think I just... Oh, what did we uh -oh. lose? <laughs> oh. oh, there you are. Oh, we oh, lost oh. you for a second. Okay. Yeah, there we um, yeah, man, I, I see what you're saying. I think that if we were able to have a longer conversation, we should probably end because we've been going for like two hours. But um, sure. if we're having a longer conversation, I think there's maybe more points of agreement on the gospel than it sounds like and probably probably farther 
a lot more nuance to to things that we might think are important. We're than... probably more aligned with you than maybe it re- it seems. <laughs> well, maybe I, we can do another stream and focus specifically on that and talk about the discu- like definitions. Yeah, yeah, that could be That'd cool. That'd be good. But um, but yeah, I guess the the, the the big the big thing that I will say, man, is I I I totally agree with you on the like. It's kind of what Sean said. Unraveling earlier. sweater. Sort of, yeah, the unraveling sweater <laughs> experience of Adventism with theology and everything. And Sean, Sean and, and Same, Anthony I and I have had conversations about this stuff a lot. And I think all three of us come down to different places on some of that Adventist theology. So it's sort of funny how that works. But, um, but could I could I just say one last thing? No. I, okay. Cool. <laughs> See ya. Good night. Uh, I I would just say in summary, like I, I bottom line as as we as you say, we, we disagree on different points. Miles, your, your fundamental position here is that the, the differing pieces in Adventism are, are so uh, vast that they are different belief systems that you can't reconcile those all within one branch that, that the stated position of the 28 fundamental beliefs and that the interpretations of those 28 fundamental beliefs uh, that we've brought up are so outside of the original intended realm of that, that they would be different belief systems. I, I still disagree with that. Bottom line, I still disagree that the, the, the variations on, on the 28 fundamentals that we've at least stated, I, I can't speak for every Adventist, but I, I also, and, and to add on that too, that you mentioned in your church, that there's this theme of unity under the most core doctrine or beliefs of what the gospel is. I still disagree that the the Adventist Church is not united in that sense of what the gospel is. Um, do you agree with Ted's presentation be... from your stream? I have it written down. I wrote down what he said. Do you agree with his what presentation of the Okay. He I said with, I agree with a decent amount of it, but not specific, maybe well, not certain specifics. That's not a united I, I would gospel. Say, well, then. And, and well you can you can look it up, Miles. No, but I, but I, I think I, that's I, sort of the that what you're just say saying, the, Miles, is Sorry, sorry. What you're saying, Miles, is that like we we would need to be united with Ted in order to have a united gospel, and I think well, this or maybe Ted that's would the need to be point. or Ted would need to be united with you. But I think I think the point that we're trying to the, the maybe the point we disagree on maybe first and foremost is that uh, Adventism is bigger than uh, or has room for a space that is fighting for um, a different perspective and a different view on the gospel than maybe has been consistently laid out. And Sean would probably say, no, that's been our gospel all along. Uh, but I don't know. But I think that's probably like, just to, just to point out for, from the conversation, I think that's probably our first point of disagreement. Um, and then the rest goes from there. But sorry, but doesn't Sean. it concern you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sean. Does it concern me? I mean, the the concern of of differing views and the, the tension that that no, brings. So- yes. I mean, well, I didn't finish. I I, I was going to say something, but then I stopped because I remembered we you were in the middle of saying something. And we both cut you off. No, it's it's fine. I mean, bottom line, I I just the the pieces that you've stated that that put us without of the the orthodox view that that you have stated within what the gospel is and and who Jesus is. I just am not fully there. And again, I'm I'm happy to keep discussing this with you. Go into the more granular areas, as you said, definitions and, and go further. I'm, I'm just not at that level where I, I think that the gospel integrity of the way that the Adventist church believes, you know, fundamentally what the gospel is. I, I'm not at the space where I think that that's 
so compromised that it's it's a different message that that you know you've mentioned the way that you interact with Baptist versus Presbyterian or or others is these are tertiary like you know I don't want to use the word superficial but but areas that don't take away that united sense of the mission of of the church I'm I'm still not at that place personally where I think that that's true I I I do believe in the Adventist message I like I already stated before I think uh, that the Adventist church takes the core fundamental beauty of what the church fathers from, from, you know, uh, from church history since the Protestant Reformation, I think it's taken that and built upon it and clarified the character of God uh, even further. So, but I don't feel like it's, I think you're saying that it's, it's uh, gone off on a different branch and, and clouded or, um, I wouldn't say the fundamental, the, fundamental idea of what the gospel is. I would, I would, my perspective is it's built upon it. It's built upon, um, and, and has not so far careened off this path that, that has lost sight of the gospel. I think it's built upon it. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think Ellen White's a part of that. Again, I'm, I'm stating for myself, I think it's all part of, a uh, a way of, you know, the way we interpret scripture and, but I also agree that there's there's pieces that um, that as a church in practice we struggle with. We struggle with that clear message of of what we believe, and uh, and that it can it can easily unravel. Like if you if you truly do take out sanctuary and investigative judgment, I'm in the belief that yeah, you do lose sight of of Adventism, uh, and and you don't have that. Yeah, I don't so, agree and, and with I know, that. And I know we disagree, and and we've had a, a discussion. And I'm somewhere about in the that. middle. <laughs> so, well, I wouldn't say so. That. Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's a different branch. I would say it's an entirely different tree. It's mm. not even. It's not even on the. the you the would same say tree. it's not Christianity. That's what you would no, say. Correct? No, not not at all. Um, really? Yeah. I, I mean, it's well, it's yeah. that it is that that far. Um, mm. Which is my concern for mm-hmm. Adventists. My concern for you all, especially um, you, Sean, saying you do affirm the investigative judgment. I would say you need to repent of that. Um, the, the idea that the atonement John, I've been saying this for years the, the idea that the atonement is a ongoing process where your sin is still kept on record in heaven um, and is simply transferred to another place it actually wasn't nailed to the cross like Paul says uh, the Greek word there a lot of people falsely get it and say oh it was the ceremonial law that was nailed to the cross or oh it was the ceremonial and mosaic law no it was neither of those things it was your sin debt the Greek word there is choreographon, which has to do with a legal IOU or a, a term of legal indebtedness. It was our sin debt that was nailed to the cross. There is no record of my sin anymore because in Christ, um, that's already been dealt with and, and paid for. There's no investigation for it to eventually be transferred to Satan, who's going to be essentially the sin bearer and bear it out into the wilderness, which is the lake of fire, to be punished for the, all the sins that he's caused the righteous to commit. Um, that is a fundamental departure from the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that you can be reconciled to God right now, meaning I have eternal Amen. life presently. There's no investigation that's taking place for God to then demonstrate to everyone else because his hands are ultimately tied to the accusations of Satan. Satan's actually already been judged, um, and we were already judged in Christ at the cross. The atonement's actually already been completed, and Jesus Christ is a high priest in heaven right now, but that doesn't look the way that the Adventist church does because they have a Levitical priest of a Jesus, um, not a priest king like Melchizedek, who's ruling and reigning right now from the throne, mediating on behalf of his people, making all of his enemies a footstool. And he is a perfect mediator. All of those that he mediates on behalf of, they will be saved perfectly because Christ is a perfect savior. 
See, I agree with all of that. <laughs> well, then you shouldn't be an Adventist. You should come and join um, the Reformed tradition. Yeah, but here, let me tell you, let me just say this to, to end, Miles. And and here's here's where I I just fundamentally depart from you depart from you um, on on this is that there are there is this feeling that I get from you that there is this black and whiteness to what you believe, right? I get it, and the I gospel and, I, and Christ. I, not everything's <laughs> no, not, not, no. not everything's black and white. I'm not. I'm just clarifying. It's not everything. Yeah. No. Yeah. For sure. But if I come and join the uh, Presbyterian Church, yep. And I don't believe I'm an annihilationist, man. Like what? Like that? That doesn't fit. Well, then, then all of a sudden we have the same problem where now I'm joining another place well, and there's an elephant that's well, no, or a donkey that, that's getting bigger and bigger. Well, no, because that's not a different gospel. The gospel Paul says is the power of God unto salvation. It's a yes. specific message that when a person hears Revelation or Revelation Romans ten. But wait, here's Romans here's 10, the 9. problem though. Here's the problem. I believe it, and I'm an Adventist. I believe what I believe well, right. what you're you just said, in, and right, I'm an Adventist. You're, you're, you're an inconsistent Adventist. That and that's you're, fair under the, the definition that you said, which is that the, that the governing body sure. such as yeah. the Adventist churches. Right. right. And so I fully agree with that. So I that, agree with what you're that saying. Is, if that's so, your definition. And so what I'm saying by that is that you're out of line with the stated official teachings of the organization you claim to be a part of. So why yeah. would you remain a, at a place like that? Who is officially in their documentation? I know you're saying that you you this may not be what ultimately defines things, etc. But you're still a part of an organization that in the official stated beliefs is teaching and exporting to the world a different gospel than what you claim. The problem yeah. is that within Adventism has a legacy of theologians, thinkers, and movers who dissented with the General Conference. And, yeah, and look what happened to him, like Des Ford. Right. But no, that's I, fair. But, I, but Barnhouse. It is fair, but I think that's that's sort of the tension that we have within Adventism is even Ellen White herself, you know, she said forces the power of every false religion. She pushed back hard against like major organizing. In fact, most of the early Adventists pushed back against organizing into governing bodies. And I think a lot of, I think the tension that maybe the dissonance maybe that you're commenting on and, and you, you're saying, you know, you said to Jesse, you, you're, you're out of line with, 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 with the Adventist organization, the governing body. And I think, the, the tension and the way that maybe many of us can remain Advent, Adventist when we do feel this dissonance and this tension is because there's a long legacy of Adventists in, within the church who pushed back, they dissented, and they saw things differently theologically. And so we have kind of like both happening at the same time. And so that's how I think many of us, we see their room, we see that the table's actually bigger to push back because historic Adventists didn't view Adventism as you know, a top-down authoritarian system, but an organic grassroots movement who, you know, spoke truth to power. So I think that that's how many of us, we view it. But it makes well, sense they, that there's that distance there. Well, they spoke, think, they spoke present truth to power. Right. And I, I think, well, I think part of the issue too is like, I mean, at what point is an organization perfect? And that's part of the, that's part of the question that I have. Um, there's certain organizations I would never be a part of um, just because I disagree so whole, so wholeheartedly. Um, and then there's some I disagree with minorly, but I'd never be a part of them because it's not part of my story. It's not part of my history. Um, and then there's others that like, okay, this is part of my story. It's part of my history. I don't agree with everything that it says, but I'm, it's, you know, here I am. And I think, I mean, like, the Jews were the the is the, the Hebrew people were were not monotheistic until like 
probably around the time of the exile um, or yeah, probably around that time or, or after. And I mean, like if people left that because they're like, no, it's gotta be monothe- monotheistic. Okay. That's fine. That's fair. But people stayed and then, and belief developed. And then we come into what we, what, what, what was the foundation of, of the Christian church. I mean, it's the, the, the whole idea that where a place is right now, I'm talking myself into this, verbally processing this, is the whole idea that that the way that it is stated right now is the only way it could ever be. And so therefore, if it doesn't fully line up with your beliefs in the moment as it should, then you should leave it, is maybe one of the things that prevents any that, that would prevent any sort of shift or change from happening. And well, so yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm inconsistent with the state of beliefs of the church. Uh, and maybe I call myself an Adventist, but maybe there's a lot of people who wouldn't call me Adventist, including, you know, people like a lot lot of Adventists who wouldn't consider me Adventist. But the reality is that to a certain degree, this is part of my DNA and my family. And when I say I tried to leave, like it wasn't like I tried to leave and I didn't like it anywhere else. So I came back, like I tried to leave and the reality was that God just brought me back. And there's nuance to that story. I, I, I think it's a, it's a, I'm not just trying to say that as a blanket way and use it as an excuse. Like, but God brought me back into this place. And I, and I can say pretty confidently that the reason that I'm here, um, is not because I believe every single same thing, um, as, as the church. And so what do I do with that? I don't know, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to, to work through that. And part of that is that I don't think that any space is going to be, um, a perfect representation of what it ought to be, but well, and, we can and, be here to help. And I get that, man. And I'm not saying that necessarily the PCA is is perfect. I don't necessarily agree with every single jot and tittle on paper For sure. of everything in the PCA. It's getting back to the cardinal doctrines. We're not talking here about should there be drums in church. We're not talking here should the dresses of the women be down to their ankles. We're talking about who God is fundamentally something that the church has stood on foundationally for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years men who are willing to go and be fed to the lions over these things saint athanasius the great who is willing to stand in opposition of everyone else saying i don't care what's being said i'm willing to die for this message the bible itself there are false christs out there a false jesus cannot save people a false gospel if the gospel is the power of god to salvation but you have a different message then that new that other message cannot be the power of God into salvation. So it doesn't say that dresses down to the ankles for women is the power of God into salvation. So I just would keep going back yeah. to that foundational aspect well, of yeah. And, and Miles, I agree with you. I, I think we all agree with you. The the bottom line is we're we're talking in circles here about the definition of what is truly a, a false gospel or not. And I'll, I'll say it again. I'm still not from our discussion here, again, I'm happy to keep talking further about this. I'm not from, from our discussion seen clearly where you're saying the, the founding, this is the gospel, like the, the gospel that was through, through the heart of Jesus, through acts, through the history of the church, through the reformation to where we are now, that the Adventist church and the core belief of what the gospel is, is a branching off or a different tree of a gospel or a different Christianity, I believe it took those roots of Christianity and built off of them. And they, they, and yes, it is my belief as an Adventist that not only did it build off of that foundation, but that it, it sprung forth an even clearer picture of the gospel, a clear picture of the character of God, a clear picture of the entire narrative of scripture. Um, and we can, we can disagree 
on if that's true or not, that the, you know, the way that we look at um, the great controversy theme and everything else. And, and I know that we we've talked about already how we may disagree on those things as Adventists. I still believe that the roots of Adventism and the core uh, doctrine of the Protestant Reformation and all those other things are there. And that from that springs these branches. Now we're obviously, we've gone in circles and we've disagreed on, nope, this is a different tree. Nope, this is, these are still branches from the same tree. I don't think we're going to get to a point at this, in this conversation that we're going to reconcile those, those disagreements. Um, but I will say, Miles, I appreciate like your candidness and your ability to um, speak, you know, just very clearly about the, the concerns and the, the, the way that you look at Adventism. I, I think it's helpful. I've, I've actually, through this conversation, learned a lot that I want to continue to study and go through uh, when it comes to our beliefs, the way that we, you know, when we look at the the core Protestant belief of what the gospel is, I, I it's this has led me to want to study that more to get into that um, in a deeper way. So that's cool. that's my last comment is is I, I appreciate you for for taking the time and and just you know you're you're not afraid to to say the way that you're you know you don't beat around the bush. Uh, you're, I appreciate no. that about you. Well, thank you. Um, can I say one quick thing to that? I won't be verbose. Sure, of course. But just oh, to yeah, yeah. the the first thing, um, maybe I wasn't clear, so I'll, I'll say it more clearly. The investigative judgment compromises and is not in line with the gospel. It completely distorts and con- uh, contorts uh, the teaching of justification by faith alone. Um, then you have the other component of Jesus doing the work of a Levitical high priest in heaven, still dealing with sin. The atonement is not over. Part of the gospel message is that the atonement was completed at the cross because man is now already reconciled to God in Christ. Um, okay. So and- Miles, one sec. I'm going to stop you there because you're, you're, yes, I agree. But here's part of what I want to point out. Anthony, and I had a three hour conversation the other night where I was like, I was, I was, I don't know if you've noticed, but I like, I like, I like argument. I like going back and forth because it's, it helps. Like I just, I enjoy <laughs> It's like, it's like mentally stimulating. My wife doesn't understand it at all. Um, so I have enjoyed this discussion, even if, if some people might feel like, oh, it sounds heated or something like that. No, I, I love this. But um, Anthony and I were having a similar conversation about the investigative judgment. He's at seminary going through this stuff. And I'm like, I mean, there's certain pieces of the investigative judgment, like this doesn't feel like logical consistency, for, for instance, right? Um, or if you could take this piece, then this this part's a problem. So we're, we're discussing all of this, but but his his where you're at, Anthony, if I could su- summarize it, is that um, you can going me. through the class, going through the class on uh, on a uh, uh, what is the class again? Sanctuary? Doctrine of the, Sa- yeah, Doctrine of the Sanctuary. Sanctuary. And so there's a one of the professors has written a book. Uh, the pref- professor teaches. He's written a book. Doctor Davidson. If you Song of the Sanctuary. It's great. And the way the way that he goes to the sanctuary is a very different perspective uh, than what you, what we may have even traditionally uh, uh, gone through and heard. And then potentially, I don't actually I haven't actually read it, but may even like conflict with some of the wording. I'm not saying this as true. Just hear me out on this, people. Um, <laughs> may even conflict with some of the wording of let's say the the stated doctrine of the sanctuary. Let's. But but one of the things that so I don't know if that's true or not, but the book is is endorsed by the gc is that correct yeah so here's here's what's interesting about it and i think part of the conversation is why stay because belief can can shift and morph and change and if the way that the doctrine of this investigative judgment is shifting and changing is that not a good thing right well, for it instance means like, gospel I mean, like is, it means your gospel is shifting though my man 
It means that you're, you're, you're still then trying to work through like, oh, well, we have been wrong about the gospel then. This is part of the sanctuary system is the, the gospel mechanism. Well, there's a difference of, between being wrong and saying we didn't have all the complete pictures. It's growing our understanding. I don't believe it was compromised. I don't believe it was wrong, but we can grow in the way that we view the gospel and the character of God and the narrative of scripture. That's that's happened not just in the Adventist church. That's happened in, in every denomination. I mean, that's, that's the entire history of the church. That's the entire history of the church. That doesn't make it wrong or or Babylon or it doesn't make it, um, you know, it, it, uh, heretical or the apostate, you know, of something to, to repent of, just to quote to quote you. Uh, I think that that's an ongoing process. And and uh, again, I can't speak to this book or, or whatever, but... Uh, that's been for me my personal faith walk is it's an ongoing, you know, pruning and and clarification and yes sometimes realizing hey you know the way that we had this or my my view of this originally like it needed to be clarified or or refined but I don't believe and and maybe Jesse you're you would say otherwise but I don't believe this this compromises the core doctrine of the sanctuary of the Adventist Church it may be that the way it's stated and and Miles you've spent a lot of time focusing on the wording. Uh, and definitions of things, but but I would say that the narrative of the core doctrine of doctrines of the Adventist Church um, are are not compromised uh, by these things by the by the dissension or the, the the dissent that we've we've talked about today. I think that it it's just part of that that idea that we clarify we we may evolve in our understanding of things. Uh, I I just I just don't know if I can get on board with the mindset of. Uh, just because we we disagree on certain areas, which I would still say are smaller issues than you're saying are, are distorting the gospel or it's a different gospel. Uh, I, I just can't get on board that, that is, that's what's happening here. I think that there are pieces that we disagree on. Um, I think they're important pieces even. Um, you know, it's why I'm an Adventist. But if, if I didn't think they were important things, I wouldn't be an Adventist uh, if I didn't think but- that those pieces were there. But Again, saying, I, I just don't see how saying, it's a, a distortion of the gospel. Saying that the atonement is actually an ongoing thing, the church has been wrong about this for 1,840 some odd years, and that actually Satan's going to be a part of the atonement because he's the scapegoat that sins are going to be placed on, that's a that's a big shift, my man. That's a, that's so, a big shift, okay. and, and that's so, completely novel in history. Well, but for instance, the idea of like Satan being the scapegoat, which I'm not even trying to make an argument here, but that whole idea, I think, is less... Um, Central I, is what you're going to say. Less central to the idea of the gospel and Adventism than well, that's how any, reconciliation like, happens. That's how sin is is done away with. Your sin is still being dealt with. No, I know no, that I you get, said you don't affirm it, but no, 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 that is saying, part but, of the gospel. gospel. The gospel is the good news of reconciliation to God, and your sin is still being dealt with to eventually be placed onto Satan, who's going to be the so, scapegoat. That's a big shift in the gospel. That's not something that's well that that aligns with apostolic ancient Christianity or biblical Christianity. But does it compromise? Like, where does that? Okay, you know, on, and we can we can discuss it. Where does it compromise? <laughs> to, the the. I'll we're tell about you. to blow this. You, we're about I, we're about to blow this up into another half an hour, well, forty five like, minutes conversation. I can say it in Ten seconds. Okay, go for it. It compromises the gospel because you're ascribing some of the work that Jesus Christ completed, which is part of the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. That includes Jesus Christ fulfilling all of the law's requirements. The scapegoat was a part of the law. Saying that Satan is the scapegoat ascribes some of the work that only Jesus Christ could fulfill and complete to Satan. Thus, you have a reconciliation where Satan and Jesus reconcile you to God. So 
<laughs> so, okay, this is this is just where I wanted to hit on this, and but we can't talk about this because we will talk for another 45 minutes, is pretty much to say that, yes, I hear what you're saying, Miles, and I think I've said the almost the exact same things in arguments with other Seventh-day Adventists. I will also say that I think I push back against the idea that, oh, Adventism is a totally different branch of Christianity, because the idea, a lot of what you're saying- For is a different a, tree, is, he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. Is this is just a, a mischaracterization of how that belief is held by many Adventists. It might be held the way that you're describing it by some Adventists, but for many, the basic idea that Satan is ultimately responsible for evil is something that that's, people say, like, yeah, th- like- someone has to uh, has to accept that this was brought into all of this somehow and so that blame is being put on satan right the that's bible how, says that's... adam not satan no for sure i know i get that but the 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 basic idea of that is not so far off of christianity as to present a different gospel however if you present it this way hear me out if you present it in the way that listen your sin is still being dealt with therefore you still need to be concerned about your sin that's not the gospel. Like that, that is that is ant- antithetical to what the gospel is, which is that your sins are forgiven in, because of what Christ has done for you. He views you as being seated at the right hand of the of the, of the Father uh, in in heaven. Like that's how he views you. Okay, that is the gospel. If you attach this secondary idea to it, that well, Satan is ultimately going to pay for is ultimately going to be uh, recognized as the the person who was responsible for bringing this other way of uh, of of being in this universe in this world. Um, if he's going to ultimately be responsible for that, to some that's like yeah, like I want I want that to be called out. Is that such a shift of the gospel? And and that's I think the, yeah the because it's a part of the atonement. It's a part of the atonement, my man. That's the issue. No, I hear what you're saying because I hear you what have you're to saying. take the rest of Leviticus 16 with the idea. You can't just be like, well, it's if you look at it this way. Well, no, man. Theology but, is a system. No, you have I, to take the rest you, of the system. And Leviticus 16:10 says that but the to, scapegoat is part of the atonement. But to claim that Adventism is a completely different tree is one of those things. that's just like, man, that is saying a lot that this sort of tertiary idea, and you might say that it's not, but my point is that this is a different interpretation of what is happening in that day of atonement that ultimately played out is not saying that Satan is somehow, uh, you know, helping me with God. That's not what that's saying at all. Or at least that's well, he not is how fulfilling, He is fulfilling some of the law's requirements. The law required the scapegoat. That was a part of the day. Of, I mean, there was a ton of requirements to the law. Jesus fulfills that even, all of that them. Even, but that even looks at how, like, how are you dealing with the law? So my, my point is that is is not to say that I even disagree with you fully. My point is that to claim that Adventism is a completely different tree is to some degree a, a, an extreme statement that I think mischaracterizes how how those beliefs are even held within Adventism. And are so Mormons that, I mean, a, are Mormons a different tree? I mean, you could argue that they are. And I think that there's probably you think, pretty- You think Mormons are, are Christians? No, I don't personally. At least I don't believe it in the in the sense that you're talking about. So why are they why are they kicked out? Why like why why are why like who I guess my my biggest thing is to look at we believe the same things about you say we don't, but we believe the same things about the the divinity of Jesus, about the Trinity as you do. Even if you say we don't, we believe that. And yet 
the Mormons believe that Mormons God is don't. God. We that Jesus is His Son. Jesus has been married. There's seven different heavens. Like there's all sorts of there's all sorts of added on stuff in there that gets pretty wild. And I'm not saying so. There's a that, great controversy, my man. <laughs> no, I I agree with you, man. I agree with you. And if you want if you want to cut it off and say that, then okay, I get that. My point though is that being Adventist and having walked with other Christians, I don't feel out of place there other than a few kind of secondary things like state of the dead. I, I feel out of place in, in spaces like that where people are going to preach hell. Right. Well, but I'm, I'm just that, telling you, I've walked with other Christians. I'm just like, yeah, no, I mean, we're, well, we're on the same I, page here. Well, I can't see your heart. I can't see anybody's heart. I don't claim to be an elect detector. Um, I'm simply um, heralding the message to all people that hear it. Um, the, the beauty of knowing that Christ is uh, sovereign over salvation is that uh, I know that he's saving his people. Nothing can thwart that. And uh, I'm just asking to be used by him and God's going to save his people, whoever those are. So uh, I hope that that is the case. I hope that you are attached to the true Christ by faith um, and that you affirm the biblical gospel. And that's the case for all three of you. I hope that's the case. I think that's where we're definitely aligned like i think that's all like what our heart is for and what we all believe like that christ will save his people he has done it atonement is like like jesus has done it he is the king we're seated in the heavenly places co-heirs with christ that is it uh, is it finished is the atonement finished as jesus said on the cross it is finished and we also he's not so he's not in heaven doing an investigation over the books to vindicate the character of god to show all the watching intelligences that he's just in saving who he saves what are you gonna say anthony I think that I would push back on your characterization characterization of the investigative judgment. That's but, Ellen White's words. That's Christ in his sanctuary, chapter eight. But I think Anthony's point is that there's shifting definitions of what the investigative judgment could mean, even at the level of this is the never ending pin the tail on the is, donkey. This is the my pin man. the tail on the donkey. This is what I'm talking about. Is <laughs> so how is a person? So Ellen White said you have to believe these doc, this doctrine to be saved. For example, I've heard other Adventists that say this. Ted Wilson mentioned it on your last episode yeah, where he said he what the he gospel did. is, he did. and he included this in there. But if it's so convoluted and so hard and kind of a misty fog, we can't really nail down exactly what it is. How are people supposed to believe this and understand this and trust this when no one really knows? I I mean, I get SDAs all the time on my videos. You're reading her out of context. You don't. I've read thousands of pages of Ellen White. And then I review videos by Isaac Olatunji, and he's quoting websites where the Catholic church who he thinks is the Catholic church is quoting Ellen White. And he's saying Ellen White's writings are simple. See the fact that they're quoting, it shows that the Vatican understands Ellen White's writings. They're reading her writings. He makes it seem like, yeah, if you just read them, they're just plain to understand. But then when it comes time to critique them, all of a sudden eh, you need us to kind of hold your hand to walk you through the infallible interpreter. Yeah. And I, I think the, the problem comes is that everything that we've been saying, or at least that I've been reiterating is, I just believe strongly, and I think I see a case for historically, that there can be multiple visions of what Adventism is that, and that maybe have dissonance with each other. And I mean, you have characterized like a lot of these beliefs, like investigative judgment, for instance, by quoting Olatunji, you've quoted Doug Batchelor, Ted Wilson, uh, but you haven't quoted Peckham, Davidson, you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of like current Adventist scholars who are in the seminary writing theology right now, currently that I- I can, would you like me to? For sure. And, and I mean, we probably don't have time. I mean, I, I would love to have that conversation. We probably don't have time today. But all I'm saying is like certain voices pro- are are project a certain vision for Adventist identity that other voices that are just as Adventist, they also yeah, I, validly I, 
are proponents of. So, so there's within Adventism, I think where we align for sure is this, I, the, is this recognition that Adventism kind of has an identity crisis, it maybe doesn't really know what it is. And I definitely see that for sure, uh, because, or else we probably wouldn't be having. Yeah. Well, which is part of why we're doing what we're yeah. doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. I've never disagreed with, and I'm not saying that you guys have said this. I'm just clarifying. I've never said that there aren't various flavors of Adventism out there. I've joked around on my channel about this before. I call it Adventism light, etc. Um, I would just say that the 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 people that I'm quoting, um, they're in line with the official stated doctrines of the, of the church. Sure. And now I know you guys sure. would say, well, yeah. the way that they're being defined and then we would continue going around that merry-go-round. But well, uh, I would, <laughs> I would just say that those who maybe you classify or dismiss as Adventism light are just as Adventist in the, in, in the sense that they're, they hold to what it means to historically be Adventist, to seek after what the historic Adventists sought after. They just dissent or they push back at perhaps, you know, GC language. Well, they'd have to push back on fundamental beliefs too. Well, but that's but that's part of it too. Is like, if if we can be an organization, and I don't I don't know if we can. I honestly don't know True. if this will Same. ever happen. If we can push, if we can be an, 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 a a body, a piece of the body of Christ that is seeking to constantly um, evolve. By that I mean like we're not just sitting there like this is all that has ever meant, and being willing to have an open heart towards. Uh, towards the way that we view scripture and the way that we have traditionally held it and in light of new ways of thinking about it. Cause that, I mean, that's the case It's just, we, we have new things that we constantly have to have to process through as people. And I'm not saying that we do away with the, the, the core, the core stuff of Christianity. But what I'm just trying to say is like, that's a piece of it that actually funny enough gives me hope that that could be possible, even though mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, even though I highly doubt that it's possible in reality. And so, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of where, where, I, where I'm at, but, but Miles, I want to say this, man. Um, I appreciate the, the, the sincerity and the, um, amount of legwork that you have done to absolutely uh, to be as fully informed on this as you could possibly be because you're you're not you're not coming at this just with like a bunch of like you know what i didn't like the way i grew up and therefore you know i'm just gonna no. rail against this you, you you care about this a lot man and so i just want to say that i appreciate that and i appreciate the the conversation another thing too man is um what you were doing with with trying to trying to tell Adventists because that's your your whole YouTube channel answering. Well, it's Adventism. actually to Christians. The primary target okay. is educating Christians about Adventism about and Adventism. why they should be concerned to then take the gospel gotcha. and the true Christ to Adventists. But then the tertiary effects of that is to also Adventist. reach Adventism yeah. or Adventists. Yeah. Well, the, the the goal that you have that you stated earlier to um, to help people know the gospel, I mean, I fully agree with that, and um, I know that we might have different feelings about some of the, the pieces of it, but I just want to say that, man, like that's that is a, that is something that I hope for 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 people that I love here in this in this context as well, for them to know Jesus Absolutely. and not just to know a bunch of like rules and laws and stuff that that is definitely not a thing that is bringing them to Jesus, but if anything, leading them farther and farther away because they feel far away because of how it's been taught to them. So that's my heart too, man. But um, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I appreciate the conversation, dude. Yeah. Can I so say it, one final thing? If, if it's not, if not it's, to you, not to you. It's just something that I, I, uh, if it also includes uh, where people can find your stuff. It, it does. Um, <laughs> but you, you know what I'm going to want to say, right, fellas? Go for it. Make your, those, make your call. 
I have to do this. I don't think yeah. you guys will mind doing me doing this, obviously, Go but I have to it. do this um, because this is my obligation before God. Um, for those that are watching, do you know what the gospel is? I'm going to walk you through. This is the gospel presentation that I've had on my channel. It's going to be relatively quickly here, but um, come to know the true gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's that there's bad news, which is that man's broken God's law, Romans 3.23, 1 John 1, 1.8, and our sin has separated us from our maker, Isaiah 59.2. In his grace, God entered into his own creation in the person of Jesus Christ, John 1, 1 through 14 and Colossians 1, 19. He was born of a virgin, Matthew 1, 20, uh, yeah, 1, 23. And he lived a perfect and sinless life, fulfilling all of the law's demands, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and Matthew 5, 17. He was sent on a mission by God the Father to save sinners from condemnation, John 3, 16 through 18 and 6, 37 through 40. He paid the penalty for sin, which is death, Romans 6, 23. And he bore the sins of his people in his body on a cross, 1 Peter 2, 24, making propitiation by his blood, Romans 3, 25. He died, was buried and resurrected in the same body that he died in on the third day for our justification. 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 4.25, and Luke 24.39. By a living faith, James 2.18, in the person and work of Jesus, Romans 10.9-10, 10, God graciously declares a person righteous, Romans 4.5. They are reconciled to their creator, Romans 5.10-11, sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, and have peace with God, Romans 5.1. They are born again of the Spirit, 1 John 5.1, Titus 3.5, and adopted into his family, Ephesians 4, 5 through 7, and are granted eternal resurrection life in Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 11. Set free to do good works to, that please him. Ephesians 2, uh, 10 and 1 John 2, 3 through 4. Jesus will physically return one day to judge the living and the dead. 1 Peter 4, 5, Acts 24, 15, John 5, 24 through 5. But his people will be spared from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, to dwell in union with God forever. Revelation 21, 3. Place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. The Jesus of Adventism is not the historical biblical Christ. I know that we had a nice cordial discussion tonight, but you guys know that this is my heart and I'm going to state the facts as I believe that they are. Um, and I would pray that you would come to know the true and living Christ except the true uh, biblical and historical Christian gospel. You can find more about uh, what I'm doing at Answering Adventism. You can simply go on YouTube and type in Answering Adventism and my channel will pop up. Um, or you can do youtube.com slash at answering Adventism because the URLs for your channels for some reason have an at symbol in them. So youtube.com slash at answering Adventism. Thanks so much for having me guys. I really enjoyed this. And yeah, like I said, bro. maybe we can do something like this again and yeah, yeah. be a little bit more like honed in on like one specific, like some guardrails to maybe dig real deep on like any specific issue. Um, or if you guys are willing, you guys could also come on to my channel for us to do a live stream. Ooh. Let's do uh, let's, as long sweet. as we block out six hours. Is what <laughs> well, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Seeking What They Sought. Before we rush to a close, wanted to just pause and say thank you. We are really, really grateful for you all, not only for listening, but for all the conversations that we've been having recently uh, from emails and messages, DMs, uh, text messages you've sent us if you know us. Uh, we are just really, really grateful for those conversations. They're the reason we did this podcast, and uh, we're just really, really uh, grateful for you all. So please, if you haven't, if you have thoughts and you haven't reached out, uh, please uh, send us an email um, or send us uh, just a DM on Instagram or uh, or you know drop a comment under one of the one of the posts. We would love to have conversations and uh, hear what you think.
Now, if you didn't know, we actually have a Patreon. Uh, it's something that we mentioned uh, during the off-season, but we really, really wanted to up the ante and be a little more intentional, a little more professional uh, going forward with this new series and going forward with the podcast in general. So we have started a Patreon. There are some fun, cool perks that you get for signing up. It's going a long way to, to help us make more content like this uh, for you guys, and we, we really appreciate it. So if you want to support us, you can hit up the Patreon. There's a link in our, our, our bio on Instagram, and uh, we would be really, really grateful. Well, I think that's just about it. So we will see you guys next time on Seeking What They Saw.